Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, ever present to discuss independent music, punk, hardcore, indie rock, all that fun stuff. Because, uh, you know, that's that's what we all care about, right? That's what like de- is deep within our DNA and our bones, that we love this stuff. And we still uh, still care about it or are just discovering it. Like, I would love to transport myself back to being like 16 years old and discover this podcast and just listen to these interviews because I would be like, man, this is great. It's like, you know, when I discovered zines where it's like, oh man, I could not get enough. And I can't even imagine what I would do if I would trip across this podcast and all the other podcasts that cover this beautiful, beautiful scene of music. But anyways, I'm going to make this very tight and very quick because this is a very long episode, but incredibly important. So I had an idea, this, I don't know, this was one of my shower ideas that I like to call where, um, you know, you just come up with the idea and you're like, you know what, I want to put this in action. I think this would be cool. So basically, this is kind of like a, uh, I call it a self-audit, as it were. I approached my friend Scott Krauss, who plays guitar in Earth Crisis, and has also played in a band called Sect, and, he, you know, he's just a very prolific musician. But Earth Crisis is clearly, you know, the, the thing that he is known for. And uh, I wanted to go over each and every single one of Earth Crisis's full lengths from Destroy the Machines all the way to their most recent LP. And just kind of like try to get a snapshot, a time and a place, like where the band's head was at, funny anecdotal stories that may have been happening, like why they chose to record with this person, you know, why did they decide to work with this particular record label? Because there's so many things that kind of get lost to the ether and uh, I just thought that this would be not only fun for me, but fun for Scott to kind of talk about and discuss. And then also interesting for you. Like, I thought I knew a lot about Earth Crisis. You know, they're clear, like one of my favorite bands of all time. But in learning even more by asking Scott these direct questions and kind of doing it in chronological order, he blew my mind on like, 10 to 15 different occasions. It was so, so cool. So I'm really, really proud of this conversation. And I thank Scott greatly for contributing to this and uh, entertaining this uh, this idea. And if you like it, please email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com, because I plan on doing this uh, in the future with uh, some other people who I know would be uh, you know good candidates for this. Because to me, a good candidate for this is a person who uh, you know, doesn't have uh, a sense of ego about their work, is able to speak plainly about the you know, successes and failures of uh, whatever it is that they do. And uh, Scott Krauss was, was perfect for this. And uh, yeah, I hope some other people will, uh, 
will be interested in this idea as well. But um, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say. But I'll, I'll, I'll dive in at the very, very tail end of the episode to tell you about, of course, the upcoming week's episode. But uh, I, I'm really, really proud of this. So please share, rate, and review this podcast. Share this specific episode because I'm just really proud of it. And I'm really proud of the conversation we have. So here we go. It's a little bit a uh, little bit of a different different flavor, as it were. But uh, I, like I said, I, I think you really enjoy it. So let's strap in and enjoy the deep, deep dive into Earth Crisis's catalog and all of their full-length records. Like, I'll be clear. It's their full-lengths. I'm not diving into their EPs and everything like that. It is all full-lengths from here on out. So that's what we got. All right. I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. No, totally. And plus, it's like those those details, um, you know, like satisfy, uh, you know, a very small subset of people where it's like, yeah, oh, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't care about that. It's irrelevant. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> totally. It was, it was but, recorded and it sounded good. And that's what we were happy with. <laughs> or, or it didn't, or it did. And you just that's dealt true. with it. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. You know, well, that's, so that's most of the time. I'll probably what I'll say in here. And I didn't like it, but that was all the money we had. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it, it, it's funny. It's funny too. That was, that's actually a, a good point to kind of start off with. Cause like, I think it, you know, it, the, the time that, you know, I mean, earth crisis started to exist and record and everything like that, you know, like I mentioned, we're, you know, just going to highlight the full links and stuff like that. But you know, the early to mid nineties was so weird for hardcore bands because, uh, there was no context for most producers and engineers to like how to capture these sounds. They were like, well, it's not metal, but it's obviously it's not like, yeah. and so I'm sure every studio you went into leading up to destroy the machines was basically some version of that where you're like, Oh, this guy like knows how to track, but like, I don't, I don't know. They don't really know what to do with us. Or was that, am I just reading too much into that? No, no, no. That, yeah, I would say that's yeah. hundred percent accurate. I mean, uh, you know, Jimmy and, and sect, like he and I talk about that all the time, like having to explain, you know, to a producer, like an engineer, like when you're in there, like, Hey, um, you know, Jimmy, oh, he makes it funny. He's like, I want all the drums to sound like a kick drum. And the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, I want all of them just to sound like the kick drum. And he's like, what? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's what I want. And, and basically, cause when we're kids, we don't know how to describe it either. Right. So we're like, you basically are, are telling him, I just want all the drums have a lot of attack to them, like the kick drum, that click, that that punch, you know. But when you're when you're like 15, you don't know the terminology, you don't know. You know, so you're just like, dude, they all need to sound like a kick drum, and the guy they're just looking at you like you're crazy, and you're looking at them like, why can't you get this? And <laughs> yeah, but and there, but there's no record to just put on and say, this is it, you know. I, obviously now, you know, there's plenty, but yeah, back then it was a uh, yeah, there was not very many records that I felt like achieved sonically what they wanted to you liked the music and there was something about it that you that you just connected with but sonically they didn't nothing sounded great you know everything sounded pretty mediocre really yeah (laughs) and and no totally and it is interesting too where i was just like you know over the years because you know take and release stuff on goodfellow records obviously became close with chris logan and chokehold and like i always liked chokehold but the um every single recording they have ever done sounds like, you know, trash cans being thrown down a hallway. And right. like, and it, it, yeah. and it, it, it was just a symptom of that fact where it's just like, well, yeah, like everybody we recorded with, like, you know, like they didn't know what they were doing to capture what it was that we were trying to get. And we just got it as close 
as humanly possible <laughs> to the thing yeah. that we thought. Well, and then the sad thing is you grow a fan base sounding like that. So when you finally get to the point where you're like, holy shit, we got ourselves a sound like we want a sound. Everyone's like, I don't like it. You guys <laughs> suck. Where's the trash cans going down the hallway? It's you okay. know what I mean? Totally. That's what we loved. We loved the trash cans going down the hallway, even though you were disappointed as hell with every record that you've ever done. But that's they got popular off that. So now... You know, if they put out something that, which I, I actually they did, right? They put yeah. out like an EP or something, and it does sound pretty good. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how well it's received, but I can imagine the the, the older people are like, "Wait, dude, yeah, this why is way it too sound pol- good, right? Yeah, <laughs> way too polished, yeah. man. Yeah, 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 exactly." No. <laughs> uh, so, you know, kicking things off with uh, "Destroy the Machines," like you know, clearly you guys had uh, you know experience working with record labels, and like you know, you would kind of. You know, you you had done enough stuff to where going into a studio wasn't the idea wasn't uncomfortable at this point, or you know maybe it was, maybe I, I'm just you know giving you guys more credit maybe than you had. But um, heading heading into the studio, was there um, I guess like a sense, not even anticipation from the outside world, but just like you know, were you guys like incredibly excited? Were you guys nervous? Like you know, where, what was you? You don't have to speak for the whole band. Obviously, you could speak for yourself, yeah. but you know, what was kind of the headspace as you were entering you know to record your debut full length uh yeah i was i was definitely nervous because we had chose to work with these guys that i as far as musicians were just like cuts above us like they were on a different level they were they were metal guys like progressive metal guys like that could really play you know Mm -hmm. and so i was like you know man i need to practice i need to have my stuff down like i don't want to look like an idiot in front of these people you know and like and also we had just um lost our second guitar player at the time so when we recorded destroy the machines we were a four-piece for a little while we didn't play out like that but we didn't have a guitar player near the end of writing it another guitar player near the end of writing it and the recording of it so i played all the guitar on it so I had, a, I felt a lot of pressure. Like I was pretty nervous, but that only lasted, I think, until maybe the first session. And, and those guys were like so unbelievably cool and supportive. And uh, and we were friends. Like Jim, our friend Jim Winters was really tight with those guys. It was uh, Joe and Kurt who were from the band Believer. And so I think once we got there too and saw their setup, it, it, it humbled us a, a lot too because they were like, you know, it was it was a home recording situation where they were like in their grandma's basement, you know, and it was not plush or fancy at all. It was, it was very DIY. And so I think when we got there, we're like, Oh, all right, these guys are kind of like, like us. They're from our, they're sort of from our world. They're just way better players, you know? Right. And, um, so it, you know, and they were just really supportive and cool and complimentary. I just remember, being very uh like proud because when i would track the dude would just keep telling me dude you're super tight like this is great yeah this is gonna sound great and he was just really like positive you know so i think after the first session we were all like oh this is gonna be killer you know this is fine but yeah going into it i was really nervous because first record where it all kind of was on my shoulders as far as guitar went and yeah these guys were like I really looked up to him. I loved, like, I, I still love the Believer Dimensions album. It's like one of my favorite records, you know, probably of all time. And so, yeah, going into it, recording with people that you really look up to, yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking. I probably was, I don't know, 18 or something, too. Right, right. So, yeah. And I, you know, and I knew I wasn't like the player that 
those guys were. Like, I, there was no fantasy. I wasn't like, oh, I'm as good as, you know, no, <laughs> I knew, like, I'm not as good as these guys. <laughs> like, totally. I'm not going to live yeah. up to th- that, yeah. that standard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had like a solo, like, I remember being super nervous and uh, it was like in New Ethic, there's a solo. And I was like, oh man, I got to, you know, I got to work this out, make it at least passable within my talent level, you know? And I remember, uh, so our friend Jim is there and he's just like, he doesn't speak much. I don't know if you know Jim. He just kind of does a lot of hand gestures and shakes his head and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And he's and he's like he's shaking his head in disapproval while I'm doing it. Like no, no. And they yeah they kind of spoke up. They were like, hey, you know, let him do it the way he wants to do it. You know. And then they chimed in. They were like, what if you hit that note instead of that note? And you know this and that. And they were real cool. Like I, it was a really good experience actually recording with those guys. That's cool. Well, especially too. Yeah. I think when you are. Because, I, I mean, I presume that you guys chose to work with them based on, you know, like their previous records, like most bands do of, you know, like when you're whatever, 16, 17, 18 years old, like all you're doing is looking at the records that you enjoy to be like, and I mean, you know, frankly, even as you get older, you just look, you're like, oh, who recorded yeah. this record? Let's do it with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And well, that's what it was. Yeah. We, we loved, uh, Jim had come, you know, we had played some shows with conviction and, um, which was Jim's winner's band. And mm-hmm. he had come up and played us like, Hey, listen, I played some guitar and bass on this, this album. You got to hear it. And like the production was like unbelievable for the time. Like it was just, yeah. And so, and that these guys did it in like their mom's basement like that. We were just like, yeah, we, we want to record with these dudes because at the same time, like kind of what we were talking about previously, where every hardcore record, just there was nothing that came out that I was like, man, I want to sound like that. Like I remember, Snapcase went to Don Fury, you know, mm-hmm. in New York, and and they went there because every New York hardcore band went there. And but I was like, why would why do you want to go there? Like the, all these bands don't sound good though. Like the bands are good. I'm not knocking any of the bands that recorded. I love a sure. lot of the records that came out of there, but not the production. I like the records. I like the music. I like the performance. You know. Yeah. But the production sucks. But and I and we knew like we that's not what we're going for. Like we need. We need something that we want sonically to sound different, like cut, set us apart from all this other stuff that, you know, all these same bands go to the same five studios. We want to go somewhere different. So we sound completely different than everybody else. Yeah. No. And I, I honestly, I, I think that really, you know, th- those are the records that you remember. Cause yeah, you notice this and it happens time and time again, where producers get hot and whether you like their recordings or not, it just kind of is where most bands gravitate to. And then it is the record or two or band or two that sticks out that she does what you guys did and chooses a person that's like, Oh yeah, maybe not on the radar. And you know, you get a record that, you know, can kind of sit like, cause people can listen to destroy the machines now and be like, Oh yeah. Like it, you know, it, yes, you can understand it was recorded some, you know, 20 odd years ago, but it's not, it doesn't sound dated from that perspective sonically, you know? Um, right. It's not, yeah, it's not completely out of, yeah, there's some stuff you listen to now and you're just like, whoa, that is yeah. uh, 1997 yeah, or whatever. Planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's not, yeah. It, it, to me, I mean, we were, we, there was disappointments with it within the band for sure. Um, but it was, it wasn't so much anything that they did or anything that could have been remedied at the time. It was just growing, you know, as a band. Like you were getting better. You look back on it and you're like, you know, the main thing was Carl's vocals. Like he was never, happy with it and he was going through a transitional phase you know mm-hmm. he uh, firestorm he blew his voice out you know during the recording of that and so he was trying to find a new voice and he was working with like his mom is a opera singer um i don't know how many people know that but his mom is was actually a pretty 
famous opera singer. And she, um, yeah. And she was teaching him like breathing technique and where to sing from. And, you know, so he was finding his voice again, you know, during that record. And it it just didn't have the bite, you know, he didn't lose it at all during the, in the recording process. And he was practicing better technique, but it just didn't have the bite that firestorm had. So, you know, it was always a little bit of a, um, like to us, like, man, damn it. We almost, we almost nailed it. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. no, that, I mean, that that's very, that, yeah, I, I had no clue about that, but that, I mean, it, there is a distinct difference between the two, but it's not like, yeah. you know, to whatever my untrained, you know, 15 or 16 year old ear, like I noticed a difference, but it, it didn't, um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't bad. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. It didn't diminish yeah, my It wasn't enjoyment. like, wow, this guy, this guy stinks now or anything. It right. was just like, he, yeah, it was just like, oh, he's, di- you know, he's got a different voice on this one, which happens a lot for, for bands. You know, uh-huh. I mean, every, you know, if you listen to a lot of bands, like early records are very different than obviously later records because people progress, people get better, they learn better technique and, you know. But yeah, that was always, that's, I think that's the big thing. I mean, sure. Like, yeah, the guitar sounds pretty dated. Like we wouldn't probably record something that sounded like that today, but Mm -hmm. at the time it was, it was pretty unique. And I think especially unique for the scene that we were operating in. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so did you guys, like, did you record it all in like one chunk? Like, you know, were you like, oh, we're out for 30 days and we're going to record this. Or did you guys like travel back and forth? We traveled back and forth. Yeah, we did it on weekends, basically, because that was, um, I think that was what our schedule allowed, and that was what their schedule allowed, too. Those guys all had day jobs and stuff. So we were, um, yeah, we were doing like three-day weekends. I think we drive down, it was about, what, maybe four or five hours from Syracuse. It was in a really, really tiny town in Pennsylvania. Um, I mean... Yeah, it, it like a town is giving it more credit than it deserves. Honestly, like <laughs> yes, I mean, Col- I even, Coldbrook is that where? Like, yeah, it wasn't cold. It's not Coldbrook. Uh, Victory wrote that wrong on the. It's Coldbrook, like C O L E. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, love, yeah, love the so internet. Col- yeah, so it's Coldbrook, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so but it's very small, and I don't, you know, I don't remember like eating. I, like I know we ate, obviously, but I don't remember like where we went <laughs> yeah. or like. I can't remember. I can't even think of like where we went. I remember Jim made us uh, like ice cream and it right. blew my mind because he was like the first dude that ever like he made. I'm like, you made ice cream. You know, it was like <laughs> blew my mind. And he's like, yeah. And it was really good. Yeah. But I no, remember that- a lot of weird things about it, like staying at Jim's house and we watched a episode of uh, like Maury Povich or something all about Tourette syndrome. Okay. And, <laughs> and he just sat there and just, he just played it over and over and laughed his ass off about it. And we were just like, I mean, it was pretty entertaining, you know, but sure. I, that's just like the weirdest things. Like I remember about that. I barely remember being in there playing or right. like or, Dennis or tracking eating. drums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember like in Dennis tracking drums. I don't remember it at all. Right. Like I remember little bits of it, and I remember the the ceiling being very, very low, uh-huh. and, and thinking like, "Well, that can't be good." Like it, the symbols are almost like touching the the ceiling, you know? Right. Like that's weird. But I trusted. Yeah, I was like, "Well, these guys are professionals. I guess they know what they're doing." But it, looking back on it now, yeah, not an ideal room to play drums in for sure. But yeah. It worked. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that's, that, that's super funny. Um, so as you guys finished it and obviously turned it into the label and, you know, scheduled it for release and everything like that. Um, 
you know, the, the record comes out and like, did you, cause you know, clearly trying to put, you know, 1985 in context for, you know, people born of the internet age is next to impossible. But like, did you guys, uh, you know, I, I guess feel a reaction once you put it out and like, once it started to kind of matriculate out in the world or was it kind of a slow roll where I was like, okay, like a year after we put it out, you know, now I notice people, um, you know, like reacting to the songs and stuff like that, or was it pretty quick? Uh, no, I, for us, we always have like a, a thing that we say, you know, in the band and it's, they're always going to like, you know, by the time we put the next record out, they'll like the, they'll like the one we put out before. <laughs> right. Know? So it's like, you know, so yeah, we were still, I don't remember. I mean, yeah, I think the touring that we did off that one, yeah, it was, it was definitely getting, there was a lot of progress being made in the band at that time for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like we did a, we were getting tour offers and, but I don't remember the shows being like, you know, super crazy for as far as like those songs or anything. Right. It, right. it was, it was sort of quiet. Yeah. I, I, I remember, you know, obviously like the firestorm and all out war stuff were like the hits live Sure. at that point. But then it was like, yeah, by the time the next record came out, yeah. Destroy the machines was where the hits a couple of those. You know? Totally. Yeah. But, yeah. You started to, and plus, it, you know, at that time too, it's like records really did take, a moment to matriculate and get through the system to like, you know, get to the record stores and get to the distro tables and stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, you release a record, then like a week later, all of a sudden everyone knows it. Well, yeah. And I think, and I think one of the things for earth crisis that was always a little frustrating that I think we didn't understand until we became much older was like, we, we weren't like the kind of music that we write and and that we were writing. It wasn't the bands that we were playing with were very like live show oriented music you know they they were writing ba- like backup vocals and they were writing these like you know like three word you know chant sing-alongs you know finger pointy type stuff like that's what we were playing with so we would see these bands play and we were like man we're not getting this kind of reaction like what's up you know yeah and sure. but we were writing like you know obviously like the firestorm stuff had a little bit of that going on but not really even to that level, no. you know, like those bands, it wasn't geared toward that. It was like, we were trying to write, we were trying to write not to diss those bands, but music, you know, like we were trying to write, not like for think about it in a live sense, like just let's write something that sounds cool. It's something that people can listen to over and over again and maybe find something that they didn't hear the first two times that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very, we were trying not to be very one dimensional, you know? So I think we would, um, you know, it was frustrating because we were like, man, I don't think these songs are connecting with people. But then it was like later we'd find out, we'd read reviews and stuff. And years down the road, we, I think we realized like, oh, Destroy the Machines is like a, a big record for people. Right. Like we didn't really know that, you know, yeah. like, because we weren't getting the same reaction as like a Strife or somebody or, you know, whoever we were playing with, you know, we would play and they would get these sing-alongs and pylons and stuff. And we just got a lot of like head bobbing and couple breakdowns kids would you know go crazy or whatever but for the most part we just got a kind of head bombing people paying attention and i think yeah very different bands like in hindsight looking back and of course like where we didn't where's this huge finger point sing-along part and destroy the machines there's not really one you know no it's a it's a really good point because it definitely you know (laughs) speaking as an outsider like the you know i mean lyrically and musically it's like both of them I, i mean 
some people can look at Earth Crisis and just be like, oh, you know, whatever, overgeneralize and be like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's just a dumb hardcore band thinking about, you know, veganism and straight edge or whatever. But like yeah. when you, you like <laughs> there were some words uh, lyrically yeah. that I was like, I've like never even heard this word. Like <laughs> right, so I had to right. like, look up the definition and yeah, you and then on the on the music side of things. Yeah, there was definitely a technicality that didn't exist within, um, you know, hardcore from that perspective and, you know, metalcore or whatever. So I understand what you're talking about where it's like, yeah, this is going to have to simmer for a while before we actually see yeah. that type of reaction or whatever. Yeah. Not to, yeah, not to, you know, pat yourself on the back too much, no, but yeah, it was yeah. a little, there was a little bit more thought put into it, I suppose. It was, it was a little, it was meant to be a little bit deeper, you know, not, sure. not just a surface level party at a show, you know, it was like, we wanted to write thoughtful music with thoughtful lyrics, you know, and, and that's what was always frustrating. Like you said, you know, you'd read the reviews and everyone just, you know, oh, it's, you know, mindless e-chug, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, there, that's just so not true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I can criticize myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I do it all the time and I always have been a, a really harsh critic on myself. And that's just one that I never will accept because it, it, it's not true like we were yeah. doing everything we could to not be just like you know something dumbed down like firestorm kind of dumbed down but sure. just that part though yeah just the part you know totally totally yeah, yeah. <laughs> right 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 just <laughs> yeah just that part that obviously incites the you know crowd reaction but like everything yeah. else yeah just you look a little deeper so yeah <laughs> yeah it was clear people that were saying that were clearly playing the first five seconds of firestorm turning it off and and, and making an assumption you know yeah yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And so I know this is kind of cheating, but, you know, I'm mentioning California Takeover just because that was, um, you know, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, like, you know, live records, like, you know, they existed within hardcore, but not to the extent of what I feel like this was essentially to me, just like this really heightened glorified sampler of, you know, some of the largest bands within the context of hardcore at that time. And it captured a live energy in a way that I don't think, and still to this day, like even listening to it, you know, whatever this week, I was like, my God, like there is so much that this, you know, simple live album is doing. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you guys were just like, Oh cool. Like this is a show that's being recorded and, you know, eventually it will be put out, um, you know, like for, for the masses to enjoy, but like, did, I mean, did you guys, I guess, kind of feel the impact of that or was that just kind of like, Oh yeah, this is something that we're doing. Um, no, I think we knew it was, it felt like a big deal. And I think especially felt like a big deal because that was the first show that we played after our van accident. So we hadn't played a show since we crashed the van and Dennis almost died. And, um, you know, I I guess in, in a uh, not really openly discussed way, but I know everybody was thinking like, is this it? Are we done? You know, are we not going to play as a band anymore? And yeah, so we got the, you know, the call like, Hey, we're doing these two shows in California. Um, you know, you guys snap case and strife and do you want to do them? And we were like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was supposed to be, I don't remember the live record part. I remember it was supposed to be like a, a VHS. It was supposed to be, it was videoed. Mm-hmm. There was a videotape of it, which I don't really remember why, but Tony would always just be like, no, it's not good. And we're like, well, let us see it. We want to, we were curious. We want to see how, cause the show was so, well, both shows, there was two shows, right? And, but the, yeah, the, the show at the whiskey was so good. I mean, it was, it was, you know, 
at the time, I guess, you, you know, obviously now I know what the capacity of the whiskey is, but I mean, I swear they, it was double what they could fit in there. <laughs> yeah. Like 7,000 people, was, right? <laughs> yeah. It felt so much, you know, it felt like 800 people. I know the place only holds like 400 or something, but it's, uh, it was just so good. And yeah, like you said, like the energy of the day, it was just so good. And you know, it was, it was just a good time in general. Like everybody got along like uh, us in Snapcase and Strife and not that we don't get along now, mm-hmm. but it was just a good vibe. We were all friends. We were all, uh, you know, working toward the same goals and, and just a mutual respect for one another at the same time too. So it was just, it was a good time. And yeah, Tony came out and everybody was happy. There was no, uh, yeah. Legalities. It, it, you know? Yeah. 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 It was a moment. Yeah, it was, well, it felt, yeah. it, I mean, I, I think too, the idea of just like something like that happening where it's like, okay, we're doing these, you know, special shows in California, you know, where people are flying out to it and like, you know, not joining on tour and like all of that just yeah. felt kind of unique because that was know, pretty unheard of at the time. Yeah. Right. I remember like, I remember when he said like, we're just going to fly out for two shows. We we're like, what? Like <laughs> that was just something people never did. Like, totally didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. You drove across the country to get to California. You, like you earned it. You didn't fly out there. Like you were Metallica or something. Right. You know? So yeah, it's like, oh, it's know. almost like, wait, that's an option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We still, I mean, that was an option that even after we did it, it was never an option again. Like we were like, you can't, we can never do that again. Uh, you know, in hindsight, man, I wish there was an adult around to be like, "Hey, dudes, skip Lawrence, Kansas. All right, just fly right out to California and totally. do a week. You know? Just do the yeah, just yeah. do the West Coast, and you know, everybody will be fine." Um, yeah. So does the you you still to this day you have never seen like a, the quote unquote professional video footage that Tony's recorded? Um, and have you heard? No, like, he had. Okay. Yeah, he had like a full production. Like, I, I like there was you know, he hired a, a, like a whole production crew, like, Mm -hmm. and I I don't remember what it was about it that he didn't like, but maybe the audio was messed up or something. I don't, well, it couldn't have been because the record came out. So they could have just used that. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just in the archives. I don't know what it was. He was just not, yeah, it's somewhere. But I, I remember like, you know, heard rumors, like somebody had told us like, Oh dude, we saw it. It was awesome. Like, there was, it seemed like there was a weird reason he didn't want to put it out. I'm not saying anything sinister, but there was just no. something he didn't like about it. Right. Didn't like that how it came Probably off. everybody else would have been fine with, or maybe there was even an issue with the company over the money or I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Cause I think, yeah, that would be, and that it, would be cool. Have you ever, have you heard, cause clearly, you know, the entire sets for each band were recorded. Like, have you heard, like, did you guys select the songs that were going to appear on it? Or was that kind of just like, Oh, here, like do this was Tony's opinion and you guys agreed with it. No, we did have, we had saying it, but I don't really remember the process. Honestly. Sure. 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 Like, yeah, I like we, I remember having say, I don't remember any of the reason why we chose what we chose, or I guess maybe we listened and those ones, the ones we felt like we did, we performed best, you know, like sure. they sounded best. Um, there was no like, you know, cause we had done stuff later on, like the Ozfest DVD and stuff. And they wanted us to go in and like touch up stuff. So we actually touched up some things on that, re- on that recording. But yeah, the, the California takeover, there was none of that. It was just, yeah, it is what it is, you know? Wow. I had um, no, I had no idea that. Cause I mean, I definitely re- remember that Ozfest. Yeah. We always, after taking practice, we would always watch that Ozfest DVD and then, you know, like watch your footage and then watch Neurosis's black and white footage. But so yeah. you got, you guys, you guys went back in and did like overdubs on that. Yeah, there was a couple vocal things, like because uh. Uh, because it was like, dude, it was the it was the windiest day of my life. Like, I, on, like 
honestly, like I remember Ian and I after the set, like trying to get back to like our tent or trailer or whatever it was. And like, we were walking in it and we were, we couldn't move. Like we were both like, dude, you know, we could not move. So like the wind was just stopping us from walking. Like it was just so crazy windy. And we, um, uh, while we were playing, it was just, it was like people were shoveling dirt at, at us. It was just dirt like flying in our faces. So Carl was like literally taking like handfuls of dirt to the mouth when he would open his mouth to take a breath to sing. Wow. And so, so there was a couple parts where he kind of like choked out. He was, you know, like sure. you kind of hear him like cough a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was on a, like a tour the next time we toured. I remember we were playing a shit. We were playing it like, again, like the whiskey or one of those places. And some people came and were like, Hey, we're, we're down at the studio down here doing like overdubs for like the Ozfest DVD. And we want you to come just do a couple quick vocal lines. And he's like, uh, okay. Like nobody had set it up. Like these guys just like showed up to the show and were like, you, you gotta come, you gotta come do this. And so he went, he went down and did it and came back. He's like, yeah, it was just literally like two lines they needed me to punch in. So, wow. Like, yeah. Oh. That's yeah. A, yeah. I mean, I, I, it makes sense. Like, obviously it's a, you know, a, a, that's a very professional, uh, <laughs> project yeah. that's getting put together. So they wanted to make sure everything was, uh, you know, buttoned up, but that's super interesting. But so weird how unprofessionally they did it. That, right. that was the thing that <sighs> that's true. That's did. true. They never caught like contacted the label or not anything. It was just like, Hey, <laughs> we're going to catch you while you're at the show. Come on, it's literally a block away. Let's go. You know. Wow. Yeah. That. Yeah. that that's. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Like. Yeah. We'll just put this together. Yeah. We don't. I, I know this. Uh. Th- this song appears on a record from a record label, but it's fine. That's fine. We'll just. We'll, we'll just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. And so then, with you know, looking at Kimura season ends, like clearly that was a record that uh, people. I mean, I I specifically remember anticipating, like you know, going to my local independent record store and you know seeing the the posters up and like, oh, dude, Gamora season end drops in like you know April or whatever the month it came out. Um, you know, I, I feel like you you guys probably at this point had you know more uh, I guess options in regards to like people who to record with and like you know. This also was, I mean, because you guys put that out in 96, I mean, at least according to the internet and my memory. Yeah, uh, it's like, true. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty. I, I know you are a prolific songwriter. Like, you know, you focus on that. But like, that's really quick. Like, you know, that's yeah. whatever a year, year and a half. And I understand that, you know, your first full length, you have your entire life to write. But then, you know, the follow up needs to happen within like 12 to 18 months or whatever. Um yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we didn't really have those schedules, you know, like, like we learned those schedules later, probably after Gamora season ends. But I think at that point, like our, we were just setting ourselves, like we got to churn it out. Like we just loved playing, like we loved writing music and like we uh, truthfully, I think earth crisis always enjoyed that aspect of things more than anything. Like we, we loved writing records and we, I mean, we practiced like, like strictly like three days a week, like Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, we practiced and it was like, everybody showed up, you know, it was, there was no, there was nobody missed out. And it was, it was mostly just writing songs. Like we would just sit there and churn out songs. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, the goal for us, I think was, we didn't really ever say it, but I think all of us knew, like, we want to put a record out every year. Like that's what we want. Yeah. That's, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. You know, cause every time, cause it's like I was saying, like when we finished a record, we immediately, like two weeks after we were like, we can do better than that. Let's do better than that. You know, like we never wanted to just like rest on it. And we were like, let's improve, like, let's get better. So, I mean, yeah, that, and that was Gamora's like, it was like, 
okay, destroy the machines was cool. Like we're, we did, we, we progressed, we got better, but we can do better than that. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's just, yeah. I mean, cause that, that's, that's a, yeah, that's just quick and a lot, but like you said, you were on, you were on your own schedule and not, yeah, uh, at this point there, you know, the, the trappings of the music business as it were, weren't as developed. So you guys were operating more off of instinct and your own personal preference rather than the, you know, the music business cycle. Or right. Yeah. Nobody was telling us like, Oh, you got 12 months or, you know, none yeah. of that. it was just, yeah, we were just like, no, we wanted to do it. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to put a, we were like, okay, put the record out and then yeah, let's get this touring stuff out of the way. And then, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like for us, I mean, we liked it, I think to a point, you know, but for the most part, yeah, I think that we like playing live, but yeah, it's the other, you know, 23 hours of the day that suck, you know, when you're playing shows. Totally. But yeah, but none of us, I think, would have ever complained about meeting up in the practice room and working on new songs or, you know, yeah. we, we always really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, no, that's cool. And did you, uh, you know, cause you guys recorded in Syracuse with uh, Steve Feldman and like, did yep. you guys, like, were there... I guess more options for you at that point. Like, was there a lot of discussion on like, oh, how and you know, like, did you feel, I, I guess, more of a, a weight on this one just because you know, clearly, like, second full length, sophomore slump. Like, you know, I, I'm sure that that wasn't entering your headspace, but you know, there is definitely different expectations going into uh, another record as opposed to your first record. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I've said this before in a couple interviews, and it, again, this is something that took me. I don't think. I was consciously aware of it, like when it was happening. But like now, when I look back, it was definitely like every record up until a point was like, I guess up until Gamora's was like, for me, it was like kind of an answer to criticisms, you know, like, and I like, we really didn't want to be seen as like, like, oh, the little vegan kids, you know, like mm-hmm. we wanted, we wanted to do something like write a record that's like undeniable. Like that, that, that people that hated us for being straight edge and people that hated us for being vegan had to like listen and be like, yeah, but this is pretty damn good. You know, like totally. I, yeah, these guys suck. I hate what they say, but man, we can't deny that this is good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that like Gamora's for me, that was like forefront of my mind. Like I was like, we're going to write like a record that like hardcore kids are going to be undeniable. Like this is good. And like even like a metal dudes and like neurosis kind of people are going to be like, Hey, this is pretty damn good. These little kids are wrote an awesome record. And that was like, yeah, for me it was, it was just an answer to like things I read in magazines. And like, like I brought up earlier, like, Oh, the, the single note, each chug, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Okay, well, we'll put some notes in this one then. You know, like if you, if you don't like the e chug stuff, okay, well, we'll we'll put, throw a little bit of that in there, but it's going to be very noty. You know, <laughs> it's gonna, totally it's gonna it's gonna show you know that we know how to play. And, right. Um, that makes yeah, sense. and that was yeah, and that was really like the the idea behind it. Like it was, you know, I didn't know the term, but it was yeah, very progressive as far as metal went and, and hardcore went at the time. Yeah, oh, but, f- for sure. It makes it makes sense because yeah, you were you were going to be the, like I was saying the you know expectations um, can come from you know so many different things. Whether it's you know the business side, whether it's you know like you said trying to you know silence critics, trying to get you know certain people who you respect to be like no, like we're actual musicians or whatever. It's like yeah, all that can all kind of congeal together. Yeah, yeah and that's really what it was. Yeah, it was just like all the you know all the stuff that we had dealt with at that point and you know, a lot of just negative stuff. I mean, which is, you know, really earth crisis and it is whole, like, or, you know, earth crisis is, is a lot of negative energy. It's a lot of rage. It's a lot of like, 
hatred, you know, out, you know, hatred at the world, inner hatred, like it's just negativity. And that's what a lot of people really like, don't like about it. Like the people that hate it, you know, hate the band. Like if they really like look back on it and, or or, I mean, really delve into why they don't like it, it's negativity, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it was always meant to be like that. You know, it's, it doesn't reflect who we are on a daily basis walking around the streets, but yeah, that's what the band was about. That's what a lot of metal and hardcore bands are about. You know, maybe we took it a little bit darker, you know, which was our goal, truthfully. Sure. But, you know, like, yeah, with, with Gamora's, I mean, I think that was like the pinnacle of like, okay, we're going to try to write like a vibey record that like has some of the, that that brings out some of the, like sonically brings out some of the uh, negativity that we're trying to convey, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, no, that, but, makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. Answer, and answering the question, though, yeah, we did have options as far as where we wanted to record. Um, but, the, you know, so this record was, a, again, after the van crash. And uh, I think California Takeover, so we had already recorded it by the time we played California Takeover. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. E- either we had, we either just about to, I knew it was written because some of those songs are, we played at the show. I, but, um yeah, so basically when we got into the van crash, we we used that time to like, okay, we're going to try to figure out where we're going to record the next record. You know, what like let's really like this will be a strategy time while Dennis is hurt, you know. And so we did Path Resistance. Um and really I think the big idea behind Path Resistance was just to play just to play a little bit while Dennis was hurt, but also we wanted to test out a couple studios. We were like, oh, let's go record this somewhere. So we went to Normandy Sound in Rhode Island and recorded that record, and that's where we really wanted to record um, Go More Season Ends. But ah, okay. when we went, so when we went there for Path, um, we didn't really have the best experience there, um, mostly because we were idiots and we were just being dicks and the engineer was very <laughs> professional. Sure. Like he was <laughs> He was very, very professional. We were like fucking around with fireworks and just being total idiots. And he kicked, he kicked half the band out of the control room because we were just, yeah, we were obnoxious. And uh, he was working with like Donnie Wahlberg at night. Like he had Donnie Wahlberg had like a yeah. had like a, a girl pro, like that he was working with, like a, a, a female singer uh-huh. that he was working with. And so he was he had nights, and so we only had up until like six o'clock every day. So we had just the entire evening at to do nothing. And, and it was snowing like crazy. So we were trapped in this little apartment at the studio. So we just went nuts and we were like, yeah, just banging on the walls and just acting like idiots. And he came up and yelled at us a bunch of times. Plus, so I don't know that we were welcome back there, but also, um, it, it was just so expensive. Like we were just like, I don't think we could really do the record that we want to do here for this amount of mo- for the amount of money that we'll have to spend, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, um, yeah, we were, it, we, we went into, penguin studios in syracuse to record a misfits song for like a misfits tribute album oh yeah i remember that yeah and we um we talked about it with him and he was like guys like let me do the record you know he really gave us like the hard sell he's like come on you know i've been chugging away locally forever like you guys will just have unlimited time he's like you know here's here's your but here's what's your budget and (laughs) the funny thing is like we didn't have a budget like like back then it was just we would just tell Tony, this is what we'd like to do. And he would say yes or no. Sure. Yeah. It's not like, right. Here's like 15 grand. Go figure it out. It was like, Hey, this is what we want to do. Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think he came up with this, uh, Steve at the studio came up with this number. He was like, look for, I don't remember how much it was like $12,000 maybe. Mm-hmm. He's like, you guys can just record here until we decide it's finished. He's like, it can just be unlimited time. That's so, and we were like, I love yeah, that. we were like, wow. You know, we we're like, that sounds pretty cool. And he was like, he was like, yeah. And I'll build the studio for like 16 grand and you guys can just have four or something. And like to us, that was just like, what? Like, that's unbelievable. You know, like we were just blown away that we could put, you know, 800 bucks a piece in our pockets. Or <laughs> totally. You know? Totally. That's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and so we were like, okay, yeah, done, man. And, and Tony agreed. And so we, uh, yeah, I think we recorded for like a long time. I mean, it was, it was like six weeks, but it was laid back. It was, it wasn't like, um, you know, it was local. So, I mean, we were going home every night, which was awesome. Um, he, he had the, the dude had like a, a boat on a lake, like Steve Feldman. He had it. So some days we'd be sitting in there and he, everybody would be kind of fried and he'd be like, let's go out on the boat. And, you know, we'd just like go ride the boat around for a little while and come back. And so it was good. just really chill. We yeah. just had, we just had the studio. It was like, you know what it was like? It was like when you see the the old movies of how you know Led Zeppelin recorded or bands like that. It was just like you had a studio, and you worked when you were inspired, and when you weren't, you didn't. You know, and it was like if something cool came out, awesome, let's record that, let's work on that. You know, and if it if it wasn't happening that day, no big deal. You know, let's just go do something else. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. where it's like you know, not a lot of people ever and i and i don't think ever again did we do we ever have that luxury of just you know having that creative freedom and time and not feeling pressured and so we did a lot of cool stuff on that record and because of that like we were you know after we recorded it we were like well let's see if we can bang on some pots and pans or something and make some cool sounds you know (laughs) or like just create weird sounds and like let's add these weird backup vocals or let's add this thing underneath you know and so we did a lot of like really creative stuff on that record. And it, by far for me, like that record was, is my favorite, like that, that we ever did just because of the memories of it were so great. And I think it was like our creative height. Like we were, that was like, I don't think I could ever write a record like that again. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You had, you had the most, like it was just this perfect confluence of events from, you know, time and place and structure and, you know, yeah, it's like that. I understand what you're talking about where it's like all the stuff feels like it comes together and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 and your motivations, you know, your your you know your mindset and your motivation. I mean, there was nothing like, um, you know, for lack of a better term, impure about it. You know, it was just like there was, we didn't care. Like we weren't trying to appease anybody. We weren't trying to get rich. We weren't trying. You know, it was just like let's just go do something super creative and awesome and something that we're all really proud of. You know, and that was it. Like, yeah. it, you know, and then that record got bigger and then from there on out you know then things start to get weird <laughs> you, know, Dude, like within, you could not yeah. you could not have teed me up better because that's why i was like yeah. this is this is the moment in which you know you guys were were vaulted to you know whatever you can call it a, a quote-unquote mainstream level of course mainstream means you know different things to different people but you know ostensibly yeah. this is when the weird offers started to come to you guys from you yeah. know whatever you know doing Ozfest and like you know even though that came technically before this but um you know, like doing music videos and like all this sort of stuff. Like, you know, I, I guess for you, I mean, I'm sure that there's not one particular moment in which you felt like, wow, this is really weird that this is happening for us. Um, but you know, maybe there is like, so, you know, one or two anecdotal moments in your head where it was just like, what the hell? Like after this record comes out, like, 
you know, whatever, removing signing to Roadrunner, like, you know, what random things stick out in your head of being like, this is bizarre that we are even being asked to do this or whatever. Yeah, well, it was actually, yeah, I mean, the big one was OzFest because, yeah, OzFest, I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely like right before Gamora's came out or after. Like, it was very early on in the, in the, like, you know, the Gamora season ends era of the band. And, um, yeah, but that was the thing we were, so we were getting the, the craziest stuff at that time was just mainly the Aussie connection because we started, we got asked to do Ozfest and we did it. And then from there, it was like this year long, uh, like conversations with Sharon Osbourne and she was calling my house and, um, you know, they were starting a new record label and they wanted three bands as their first like flagship bands and it was to be us neurosis and what became queens of the stone age i don't think they were called queens of the stone age at the time okay but they were they were just starting that i think and um or maybe they had done something i don't know but i think yeah i think those were the three bands if i'm not mistaken i definitely know us and neurosis i'm pretty sure queens of the stone age was the third mm-hmm. and so yeah she was just like showing up places and this was before like anyone knew what this woman looked like, you know, she wasn't Sharon Osbourne from the Osbourne the reality you know, show. Was, yep. Yeah. She was Ozzy's wife that you heard about, but you never saw her, you know? So she's like, yeah, they were like, she would come and, uh, took us out to dinner in New York. And I mean, I'm living like, a, a, you know, in an upstairs apartment at my grandma's house and I'm getting messages from this person on my phone, on my answer. <laughs> machine, you know? yeah. and I'm like, what the hell, you know? Right. And we were getting offers from, like earache records was making us very, very generous offers at the time that we were like, yeah, it, it, things were happening and we were starting to be like, okay, well we're at heart, like who we are just from birth are musicians. Like this is what we are. And like, this seems like we're getting the opportunity to be that like forever, you know, like this sure. is, you know, so yeah. And it start that stuff starts, you know, man, I mean, everybody's seen the behind the musics, you know, it's like that stuff starts messing with your head, you know, and like yep. changing motivations. And, um, that's why everybody likes, you know, band's first couple records, because that was like the pure times. Like that was before you had outside influence directing the way that you thought, even if you think you're, you're not, there's always something that's like pushing you a little bit here or pushing you a little bit there. You know, there's very few artists that can, that I think can survive like any level of, progress and success and then still maintain that original spark you know mm-hmm. and I, and yeah that was that was definitely starting to happen like we you know money was getting thrown around and because you know we were truthfully probably getting to the point where we were if that didn't happen we probably would have slowly fizzled out you know we probably had another record or so in us but sure if if uh you know i i just don't think we could have continued to like you know come home and not yeah, real life. Right, right. Yeah, real real life yeah. starts to descend upon you and it's just like yeah. well, yeah, the worlds are colliding. You know, the dream the dream and the and the reality are colliding at that point. Right. You know, but yeah, but it was very exciting at the same time. It was like, man, so so wait a minute. Like we have all these avenues. Like there's we could go that way, we could go that way, we could go that way. Right. You know, and at the same time we were going to Tony and we were trying to um Hey, look, man, you know, like these people are talking to us. These people are talking to us. Like we need, we need more money. Cause we didn't, we had no idea business wise, like uh, up until I think that time, 
that's when all of a sudden it was like, okay, I, t- I think I need to learn about like what's happening. Cause we didn't know how many records we sold. We sure. didn't know. You weren't asking literally. any questions. Yeah, yeah. Never, never. I had no idea. I was just like, it's all I know is we played Connecticut last night and there were 600 people there. Totally. You know, but I mean, even that was naive as hell because we would get handed like $350 and the dude would fill our tank up with gas and buy a Snapple. And we were like, like, oh shit, this dude hooked us up. (laughs) You're like, yeah. And we were like, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, man, we'd walk out of there with five grand from, you know, like that. Like, you know, but like, yeah. I mean, maybe not back then because I mean, what was the door? Like six bucks probably, but still. But still. You know, yeah. But yeah, so it was just like, and that's the funny thing too, when, you know, going down, going down a tangent, but you know, when people back then it was very big to complain about any band making any money. If you charge too much for your t-shirts, blah, 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 you know, not, it's not so much of that these days, at least in our scene, I think it exists still in certain scenes, but in ours, people don't complain about that stuff too much anymore. But, but the thing is, it's always so funny. It's like, well, wait a minute. So if Earth Crisis got paid a thousand bucks at a, at a, for drawing six hundred people in Connecticut, so the promoter made a shit ton of money, and that's mm-hmm. fine. That local hardcore kid is totally fine. He doesn't get shit at all. Right. But if we walked out of there with fifteen hundred dollars, they would have been dicks, rock stars, blah blah blah. You know, totally. Like the money's the money's there. Like who should it go to? The yep. dude that promoted the show or the band that's like eating shit and you know you know, live sleeping on floors, you know, but yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. That's no, a conversation I, for a different interview. <laughs> no, no, totally. No, but yeah, your, your yeah. point, I, I mean, you mentioning that it, it just puts, you know, everything kind of in context where it's just like, these are all, these are all the things that are hitting around in your head as yeah, this stuff totally. is all coming at you. And so, yeah, yes. I, to, I, yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, it's all, it, it is relevant because yeah, at that time, that's what was happening. And we were like, okay, so we're making, you know, whatever, $500 a night. And we're going to victory and we're telling him the, the shows are packed. I mean, in hindsight, looking back on them now in hindsight, I'm like, I can't believe that we were, I mean, a bad night for us. And we would be literally bummed about it. Like it, we, if we had like 250 people in like some, you know, C market town, we were like, God, man, fuck, I, think we're sli- yeah. I think we're slipping, you know, we start like, you know, we start like getting depressed and stuff. But I mean, you know, at the time, like we were playing the truck in Philly and selling it out. We were playing like it was it was and we I, we appreciated it, but not, you know, we would be we would be like, oh, cool. Anyway, where are we going to eat? You know, that kind of thing. We weren't like we weren't reveling in it. We weren't sitting down and being like, dude, 800 people just came to see us in Philly, you know. Right. Like there wasn't that. It was like, oh, that's great. And then we would move on, you know, but totally. Yeah. So we would go to, we were going to Tony and, and just being like, Hey man, like things are getting to a point where we feel like we must be doing something to warrant these kind of offers. And we'd like it if you could, maybe we'd like to stay with you. You helped us get to where we are, no doubt, you know? Right. And we'd, we'd like if you could come up and he was just very, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Like he didn't budge a little, like not, not even. You know, he's Tony. Everybody by this point knows stories of him. But mm-hmm. well, he was just like, yeah, we were like, dude, you know, if we could anything like, you know, let's 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 we want to work with you. And he was like, no. Yeah, let's negotiate. Not not interested. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was not there was I don't remember. Yeah. Even a little bit of back and forth. And then so we got a lawyer which is another, okay, now you're fucking really screwed. <laughs> you know, like once you start going down these roads, yeah. And then it was like, okay. And then somebody, and then the lawyer's like, well, you know, guys, like what you really need is uh, like a manager. 
you know, and we're, you know, so it's like all these things start happening and then you're like, okay. And then you're, you're, you're so far off base from where you started. And that's, that's when things start going ugly for most bands, you know? Sure. And, um, and we were like, okay, so we'll get a manager. And we worked with, uh, we started working with Scott Koenig, who was like rush management, which is like, you know, Def Jam and all that kind of stuff. And at the time they had like Biohazard when Biohazard was at their peak and, mm-hmm. you know, Fear Factory and bands like that. Yeah. And that's when things started. Uh, right. That's I when feel like things going a little crazy. Let me talk to you about, frankly, one of my favorite sponsors of all time, Sonos. They meticulously design every speaker from the inside out. And let me tell you, getting started is the easiest thing ever. So just plug in your speaker, open up the app, and connect all of your favorite streaming services. You can start with one speaker and then connect more over Wi-Fi whenever you're ready. Every Sonos speaker and component work together seamlessly so you can customize whatever room you are putting them in. You can connect your TV or your turntable and listen to everything you love. I love Sonos so dang much. My son has one in his room. We have one in our living room. We have a beautiful sound bar for our TV. There is so many ways that you can integrate Sonos into your life and frankly, change the way that you listen to music. I have never listened to more music than when I listen to it through Sonos because it's just, that's the best way to do it. And they also have an amazing thing called True Play, which is basically you plug in your speaker, you get it all set up, and then you use your phone, microphone, to walk around the room and calibrate that speaker to the exact specifications of that room. It's unbelievable. So go to Sonos.com and learn more about all of their amazing speakers. I love them so much. And thank you, Sonos, for changing my music listening experience and my son's. Yeah! <laughs> thank you, Sonos. I mean, obviously yeah. that leads you to, you know, signing the Roadrunner and, you know, putting out Breed the Killers and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I definitely remember the uh, the you know ripple effect. It felt like when you know you guys had left Victory and and moved to Roadrunner because you know ostensibly at that point you know Roadrunner was by all definitions you know a major label, like the most major label that any like heavy band could really be on, with the exception of like you know whatever Hatebreed to Universal and that sort of stuff. But um, you know the like. As you guys, I guess, kind of made that move, did you um, did you feel like it was a big deal? Was it one of those things where it was just kind of the next logical step that you guys could take based on all the craziness that you were, uh, you know, <laughs> that you were getting involved with? Uh, or was it just kind of like, okay, yeah, this is cool. Like, it I, I feels like a good partner. Yeah, we were excited because, like, we were huge fans of, like, every band that was on Roadrunner up until that point, you know? Like, I mean, and they had bands that were, in our in our world, you know, like Madball had been on Roadrunner, and um, you know, just bands bands that we liked, you know, were sure like you know, like Glassjaw and stuff like that. Like the, the Roadrunner, well, and Shelter. I mean, at the time, like Ray had his little imprint for a little while on there, and yep. so it wasn't like super far off course, but but it was that it was that step in like that professional direction that we that we wanted to take at the time. You know, that it was just like okay, yeah, this is the next logical step. You know, like we're we're working with a guy that right now we're, you know, looking back on it, I mean, like it, it was just so bizarre because like I said, we didn't know, we didn't know like anything. So we would go to New York city. I remember playing a show in New York and a guy from Caroline distribution came up and was like, man, your firestorm album is just like, we can't keep it, man. We can't keep it in stock. It's just flying. And we were like, Oh, that's awesome. Like good news, you know? And he's like, yeah, I mean, uh, what did he, I, I can't remember the number he threw out, but he was just like, at the time he was just like, 
yeah, I mean, I think we've moved like 10,000 or something, you right. know, and it had been out, it had been out for like not even a year or six months or something. And we were like, what? You know, we're like, that, is that a lot? You know, because we didn't know. Like, is that a lot? Is that? A, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but totally. comparatively. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he started telling us, like, you know, like this band, you know, they haven't even moved 10,000 in two years or so. You know, and it was a band, I, you know, somebody that we knew. And, and we were like, oh, my God, okay. But but again, we just kind of, like, chucked that information off to the side and just kept moving. Like, we, we didn't, like, call Victory and be like, hey, like, how many did we sell? And, like, you know, and and I'm not, I don't think that, that we've been cheated by victory at all. Like a lot of people, you know, like he didn't pay. I mean, I'm sure that if we started digging up things like, yeah, there's probably this or that for the most part though, I think he's been pretty up and up with us. I mean, we get royalty checks, we get statements, they seem legit, you know, every quarter, you know, but, but yeah, it was just like, there was definitely like at that time, I wouldn't be surprised if at that time, a lot of that stuff went straight in his pocket and didn't, you know what I mean? And didn't get, counted because he knew it was like it's that same old story it's like managers and labels i mean they thrive on naive young bands that don't know how much money they deserve you know totally. and i think it was and i think it was the same uh i think it was the same story for him back then but sure. yeah so we wanted to you know we were excited to like okay we're going to get up to this level where this professional record label who has a good track record and they pay people and they give out advances for records and you know we can spend this much on this one and we can spend that much. Whereas with victory, it was like, Hey, sir, are we allowed to spend $8,000 on this record? And he would say no or yes. And he yelled at us over firestorm. I remember because we had a nine, we had a $900 budget and I think we spent 11. Whoa. And he was like, so crazy. Pissed. He was yeah. like, he was so pissed. I remember, I remember, and I, cause I remember being like, is that bad? Like, did we, are we really screwed? Like, can we come up with the $200? Like we were, we were really like concerned about it. Sure. You know, and obviously he made that money, you know, tenfold, yeah. <laughs> tenfold over within a month, you know, but right. like, yeah. You but, know, uh, yeah. So but just, at that, it, that, yeah. At that time you were just, you know, you, like you truly felt like children asking parents for permission to do oh, something. Totally. Yeah. Everything was, everything was like asking for permission. You know, we never, we never got any sort of like, you know, any merch that we had, like they made for us, we made like pennies on it. You know, it was like, I just remember coming back from tours and, and being like, well, we got, you know, $3,000 here. Um, we only earned 500 of it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. totally. You know, we always had to pay them, you know, their cut of it and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it was just, it was, it was basically just like, yeah, fend for yourself. And, and to us, we were like, Hey man, like we're acknowledging that you, have me help make us, but you need to also acknowledge that we help make you. And there wasn't that the, the reciprocation was. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, he, right. It wasn't yeah. a it wasn't a relationship like that perspective. The the give no. and take, and yeah, there I wasn't know. a yeah. It was it was like a stone faced like no, I did this myself. You guys can piss off right. kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we were like, okay, we're gonna piss off, and so we so well that was and so the live record that we did for him that was that was a contractual obligation. We were like, we'll give you a live record and, and we're going to move on. And And he was like, that's cool. Yeah. So we went to Roadrunner, and that was bad. I'd say overall. (laughs) Sure. Well, I think that, I mean, the the biggest thread that I want to pull on, cause I know that's been, um, you know, it's kind of been dissected in a bunch of different directions, but like, you know, clearly the, the biggest uh, deficit that they had was the uh, understanding in, in my opinion uh, of, like how to how to market you guys because like clearly 
you walking into Roadrunner, people knew what they were getting. Like, you know, you guys were clear as far, maybe not even sonically, but just like, you know, the, the aesthetic, the uh, mission statement of the band, like it's all pretty clear at this point. And so I'm, you know, operating from that level of knowledge, but then to not understand where to, I guess, kind of take you guys. Like, did you feel like that was kind of the deficit or was it, you know, just kind of like, you know, a litany of reasons that you felt like it wasn't successful? I think it really was like one major thing. And it was like, um, and I don't, you know, looking back on it, I'm not sure, you know, this is where manager, you know, big quote fingers, managers come into play and everything. I don't know what was not being conveyed like clearly through the channels, you know, because we had a manager at that time, which we never had before. We were just used to dealing directly with everybody. And so um, I just remember like, we went in there with a definite like guard up, like, okay, we know what we're doing. You guys are, you guys are like the metal idiots that are going to try to make us look stupid. So we're going to have, we're going to bring in our own art guy. We're not going to use your in-house dudes, which they were offended by like big time. Like when they, when there was a big problem, I remember when we were doing the layout and we had like friends doing it who oddly enough, they hired later. Right. So is they and, and same with like t-shirts like our friend guav like would do our t-shirt designs and they were like complain about them left and right but then he ended up working for him for like 10 years or something but anyway they uh they yeah there was just this everything that we were pushing a little bit on them like no no we we're not gonna no we're not gonna do that no we're not gonna do that like everything that they suggested we were pushing back a lot and um but i think the main issue was like they expected us they wanted us to do something sonically that like we weren't really ready to do. Like they wanted to change, like not, not a hundred percent, but they were like, you know, we got to work on these vocals. Like we want to get the vocals more audible. We want to get the vote, you know, like, like big label stuff. Like sure. they wanted to come to the studio. They wanted to hear dailies, that, that kind of thing. And we were like, uh, you know, like this, this feels weird. And like, you know, the engineer, Andy Sneap at the time was like, very much on our side. And he was like, do you want me to lock these dudes out? I mean, I was lock them out of the studio. And I'm right. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we totally do lock, lock them out. We just, we want to create our own record. And we were going through like a lot of personal things at that time. Like we had, uh, Ian, Eric and I had all gotten some legal trouble mm-hmm. and it was like serious legal trouble. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and like, we were like, like, it, like lawyers could have got put away in jail sort of scenario. Like we could have went to jail. Yeah, okay. for sure. sure. And, uh, and so we, um, there was a lot of that, like, so we, I don't know. I think our heads just weren't really a hundred percent in that record. Uh, you know, like we were, we were doing it, but at the same time we were just like, there was all this stuff happening, man. It was just like, these guys were coming to the, the studio and pressuring us to do this, but we had this personal issue. Like our guitar player at the time was, we were, we were, you know, one tiny step away from just pushing him off a ledge and kicking him out of the band, which ended up happening right when we finished recording it. Um, yeah, it was just like a lot of weird stuff was happening. And, but I think overall, yeah, it, it boiled down to just like that. We weren't really willing to play ball with them. Like they, I think they, they pretty much shelved the record before it even came out. Like they, they heard it because i mean they got they got the you know final product and they were like yeah the vocals man like we just we got to get these a little more audible like we want to be able to hear every word and we're like well you know that's just not really what we do i mean you guys put out fucking deicide and stuff you know like right. what's the problem but i mean but what we didn't know was like 
two months later, they were Nickelback. Yeah. You know, like Roadrunner. So, I mean, they were very much like trying to go away from the extreme metal thing. So when we signed up, we were like, well, shit, obituary, DSI, you know, like we got, yeah, we could, we got this. We're in, we're in this, we were in this world. Like they're not going to be harsh with us. So then when they were pulling this like major label, like, yeah, man, you know, can you put a little melody in the scream and stuff like that? We were like, what? You know, like, do you tell obituary that? Like, I don't understand. Like, right. why are, why are we getting this treatment? And then sure enough, like it was, I mean, it was months after I think Breed the Killers came out that they, I think they were bought by Sony and then it was like their big band was Nickelback and, and, you know, I, and well, Slipknot, you know, but they were, they're an extreme band, but like, yeah, I, I remember we, we were on tour and the bass player, the deceased bass player for Slipknot. Now he came to see us and he was like, man, we're label mates. And I'm like, Oh, cool. And he was explaining to us his band. He was like, Oh, well, we dress up in these outfits and we like wrestle on stage and we're, and you know, one guy wears a clown mask and to hear it, you're like, that's the most ridiculous shit I ever heard. Like right. that. Yeah. And then, and I, Ian and I laughed about it forever. We we're like, dude, that band is, sounds like it's the silliest thing ever. And then I remember they sent me, uh, our A&R guy sent me the record and I played it and I was like, Oh dude, this is going to be gigantic. Like mm-hmm. this is like, right. you know, whether or not you like it or not, you know, like you just know, like when you hear something like this is going to be gigantic, you know, yeah. but they were, they were certainly going more toward a mainstream push. You know, they saw the writing on the wall, like Ozfest was getting big and all these things, you know, the corn had started getting big and all that kind of stuff. So they were, they definitely were like, okay, guys, there's potential for you to be on the radio. Let's make that happen. Right. You and, know, you, and you didn't fit, you, you frankly didn't fit the mold of where the future of the label was going. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, we, we just, they, they, I think they thought like they, you know, our A&R guy, looking back on, it, he said it, he, he did bring it up to us. Like he was like, well, you know, they, you know, what would be nice is if we had a little bit of push in that direction for this record and then the next record, even a little bit more, you know, he was basically like, they had a, like a, a plan. But we just we just so shut it down, mm-hmm. and and not not I don't regret, but like we we just were so like no we are not even coming to the studio we're not playing you anything like this is ridiculous fuck off you know right right and right. so yeah they were like yeah dudes aren't playing ball let's just let's just scrap it but I mean all the bands got dropped like you know Madball got dropped Glassjaw got dropped we got dropped VOD got dropped like all the all that stuff was immediately scrapped at the same time. Yep. you know, for, to make room for the nickel backs and all that stuff. You know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And all, it, so we, we basically, I think we signed at a, a bad time. Yeah. Like I think if it was like three years prior when they still were the label that pushed obituary and bands like that, we would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a couple, right. Yeah. A couple years earlier, it could have been like, you know, yeah. If you, if Gamora season ends came out on Roadrunner, um, you know, of course there's the, the revolving doors moment or sliding doors moment where you're like, yeah, you can't hide, you can't even think about that. But like, yeah, that yeah. timing could have been more ripe for you guys to be able to carve out the lane at the label to be like, oh yes, like what they do can do well. But you know, at that time they were just looking, I'm like, well, yeah, this is not, you know, you're not fitting the mold or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, we learned, yeah, and we learned a lot too, because you know, like for the, for as much, for as much as we didn't like victory for certain reasons, you know, we realized like, he never, ever tried to put input on creativity, ever. He never tried to, like, take creative control over anything. He never pushed a direction. He never, you know, scoffed at artwork. He never, it was, it was 
all freedom on our part to do what we wanted to do, you know, and, and that went a little bit unappreciated, you know, cause we didn't know anything else, you know? And so then when we went somewhere else and these people were trying to like, yeah, everything, you know, and, and yeah, and stupid shit was happening. Like, um, they, their, their merch company, you know, we had, we had to sign a certain amount of designs or whatever over to blue grape was the merch company at the time. And they made like wool hats, you know, and we called them and we're like, Hey man, you know, we, we <laughs> don't make it. wool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're like, you got to get rid of those. And they're like, well, okay, we won't make them again. And, and I don't, they're probably still sitting in the goddamn warehouse anywhere because I don't know who buys a wool earth crisis hat. Right. And then, then they also made like lighters and shit, you know? And it was like, fucking lighters you know yeah, like guys, it's just right <laughs> yeah the, you know you got to realize like that we're not that kind of band like nobody's buying lighters you know but, oh man that those yeah are, those are two just absolutely <laughs> epic examples of just yeah like completely missing the mark of yeah just, you yeah. just yeah you don't even know who you're working with right no. like you just, they're just another name and let's put let's slap this fucking logo on whatever we can and sell it, you totally. know? And, and it, yeah, that, that kind of thinking, it, it did make us appreciate victory. You know, we were like, Oh man, you yeah. know, grass is yeah. always greener on the other side. And then you get over yeah. there and you're like, Oh, but it was pretty cool back then too. But, and you, you would never, ever, ever know unless you actually had the experience. Like you can hear right, it unless you tried it. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and which leads us obviously to slither, which is like, you know, clearly your most divisive record. And so many people, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure at the time as well, looked at her just like, what the hell is happening? Like, I can't even yeah. believe this. Um, you know, it, the, like, as you guys were, you know, going back to victory and, and, you know, doing this record that clearly like, you know, was a line in the sand where it was like, okay, like there is still earth crisis in this record because I mean, you know, whatever I, I listened to it, you know, last week and there are like, I remember listening to it when it came out and I wasn't, I wasn't bummed at it, but I definitely was like, mm-hmm. huh, this is a twist. Like I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that this was going to go this direction. And also yeah. it was, you know, just in, it, this is a, a nerd thing, but like, this is your longest LP too. Like, you know, like close to 45 minutes from what I tracked it as. Um, yeah. But anyways, heading into it, was it one of those things where you, you, I mean, clearly you guys definitively were like, okay, this, this is the time where we obviously need to stretch our wings even further than we have. Um, and yeah. we need to kind of make a, not make a, a, a play for being a band that we're not. Cause clearly you guys were still doing everything that you were doing philosophically. Um, yeah. But yeah, you just needed to be, I guess, different sonically. Yeah, I think that I think that exactly what you said was the reaction that we wanted. You know, we want we wanted every like we got to a point where we felt like, and I feel I actually personally feel like right now still like you, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I mean, how many records of this kind of music can you do? You know what I mean? Like how many. Sure. How many, how many metallic hardcore records, how many riffs are there like that are unique, that are still inspiring, that you're still, you know, bring emotion about in you, like when you play it before it gets stale, you know? And I think we were sitting around like talking about that and we were talking about the direction that Roadrunner wanted us to go. And we're like, what, like, what if we did that? Like, what if what if we actually just full fledged, just like dove into that and wrote a record like that, tried to challenge ourselves to write something like outside our comfort zone, you know, and, and just do that because 
like worst case scenario, everyone's going to all of a sudden pop their heads up and be like, what in the hell you hear about? Like if, if, if anything, it'll just rejuvenate a little buzz about the band was the thinking. I think like, it'll just all of a sudden be like, dude, did you guys hear what earth crisis did? And to us, like we had, we had grown up hearing so many bands did that. You know, there were so many bands like, you know, you can you can count through all the classic New York hardcore bands where at some point, you know, or not even not even maybe their bands, but the bands they did after, you know, they where they did like some sort of quote unquote sellout album, you know. Sure. And so we were like, you know what? Screw it, man. Like we've done so many LPs and EPs and tours and we've been around for so long. Like it's time to shake it up a little bit. Let's just do something that's going to like maybe make some people pissed, you know, but we just don't care. Let's just do it. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Right. Yeah, so so that, that was really the thinking behind it. It was just like, okay, let's, let's just challenge ourselves to do something different, you know? And like, what do we have to lose? We're either going to break up right now or try this. Like, let's just do it, you right. know? <laughs> so, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and like with perspective and time, it, it clearly makes sense where it's like, yes, like you are, you literally can just repeat the same formula over and over and over and over. But, um, you know, like with eventually it's either diminishing returns, especially if you are, of the mindset where you're trying to make the band your central focus and thing, you know, you're trying to make a living off of it. Um, but yeah, but you, you need to be able to have the space to take a big enough swing to be like, well, this is either going to knock us into that next ballpark or we're just going to, you know, play in the minor leagues and that's fine. I mean, pardon the metaphor because I don't know. I think about baseball, but uh, (laughs) no, no, it's true though. It's, it's totally true. And that's exactly the way that we, that we thought about it. You know, it was just, it wasn't so much like, Oh, dude, that we're gonna get rich. You know, there was none of that. Like, like we're gonna get so rich off this record. It was seriously just like, let's just shake it up. Let's like shake it up all the way around. Let's do the exact opposite of what, like, all the kids that like our band want us to do. You know, and it was, and there was a, it, there was a negative aspect to it too, because again, it is Earth Crisis, and that's what we thrive on. But <laughs> right. there was, yeah, there was, you know, we were, we were frustrated with hardcore too i mean like you know the hardcore scene is fickle and moves quickly and is critical you know and it's i mean i think when you're a kid and you're in it you're not in a band or something it's just a fun time with your friends and you're you know but yeah to be in a band and i think to be in a band that got popular in hardcore you know um 
yeah, it's tough, you know, because it's like, you're cool for, it, it's all about little niches. It's not, it's not so much about music. It's just about like, what are the cool kids in that town like right now? Mm-hmm. They'll make anything popular. You know, if, if every, if every kid, like hardcore kid, if the cool kid in that scene decides they like band a right now, everyone in that town likes band a, you know, and you know, that was part of the thing with earth crisis. I mean, obviously we had something that struck a chord with everybody, sure. but it struck a chord with just enough kids in every town that it spread, you know, but then when that, when those kids moved on and when those kids decided they didn't like earth crisis anymore or whatever, yeah, then everybody goes with them onto the next thing. And it was, it was frustrating for for us to see. And we knew it was happening because we had seen it happen to other bands. I mean, we saw, we went out with shelter and we saw us doing that to them. You know, we saw, right. we, you know, like when we were young kids, like we were, we would go see shelter, like in like play Syracuse and they would pack the place out and they were the Kings, you know? Yep. And, and then we went on tour with shelter and we were like, mm, wait a second. Like uh, we're having, hold way, on. yeah, we're having way better shows than shelter and half the clubs leaving. And, you know, and we weren't stupid though, and we knew someday that's going to happen to us. Like someday, and it did. You know, like I mentioned before, like Converge and stuff. We saw. I mean, we we realized that we played shows with Converge. I remember, and we were like, "Well, yeah, it's our time. It's happening." You know, these guys are the new the new dudes coming up, and they're crushing us every night. You know. Yeah. And so we just got to the point, yeah, where Slither was like, "All right, let's just give everybody the middle finger and just do this record and just see what happens, and who cares." consequences or not yeah yeah let's yeah lean lean, lean into this but i I mean i think it's like to me the you know divisiveness is obviously solely on the music it's not like you guys changed your message or you guys changed as people and it's like you know and i think that's why you know of course you can play the revisionist history and people you know uh, like whatever, if you took a poll of a hundred people, you know, back in 2000, 2001, if they like slither, you know, a majority of them would be like, Oh, it's a trash record. But then, you know, yeah. now there's a lot of people who are like, Hey, you know what? Yeah, slither, slither's not too bad. Like, you know, like, yeah. And yeah, but, you definitely get those. You get, there's definitely those. Uh, I mean, I call them like the double down kids, you know, like right. they, they want to, they want to <laughs> be like the ones that are just like, no man, it's the best record they ever put out just because everybody else says it's not <laughs> like I'm in the band and I can, I can be honest about it. You know, it's like, it's like I, the thing I always use to describe it is I say, I think it's a great record. It just isn't a great earth crisis record. You know, oh, it's a different, yeah, yeah. It, it's a different band, you know, it, it's, it's there. Like you said, there's certainly elements in there, you know, but, it, but it would, it more sounds like couple guys from earth crisis started a different band, you know, totally. And it, but, but that was the idea. It wasn't like we didn't know that that was happening. I mean, we were very, obviously very aware when we were writing this, like, mm-hmm. okay, Carl's going to be busting out some singing here. Like, yep. and that took a lot of work, like a lot of work to get him to like feel confident enough to do that. And I remember arguing a lot with him about it because we would, we would sound check the songs and we would practice them, and obviously he felt good about doing it in, in front of us. And then we would sound check him, and he wouldn't do it. He would like scream through the singing parts, like a sound check. And we're like, dude, what are you doing? You know, and, and he would be like, oh, what do you mean? He would try to like trick us. Like, I, I did, I sang it. And we're like, uh, no, you didn't. Yeah. And we're like, so come funny. on. Man. Yeah. And so we were pushing him out of his comfort zone too a lot. Like he, you know, that's not him. Like he doesn't want to do that. And yeah, I mean, now the, the, the thing is about Carl now is he has like, he has now down, like what we wanted him to have then like down 
Pat, like as far as vocally, like he could, we, we didn't necessarily want it so clean. We just wanted some melody in his scream, but he, we couldn't really do it the way that we wanted. So we just, we just were like, all right, just do the clean thing. But now he can really like keep the scream voice, but add pitch to it, which is like, it's great. If, if only yeah. we could go back and do it now, you know? No, to, <laughs> Yeah. That's so yeah, you're like, hey man, you're a different headspace. We can re-record Slither and uh, we'll we'll probably knock it out of the park this way. <laughs> this yeah, no, yeah, these yeah, this yeah, these days we might get yeah, maybe we'll get rich. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I mean the funny thing about that record is so you know, it's it was kind of working. Like, so I mean hardcore kids were pissed. There was a handful sure. that were just like diehard Earth Crisis fans that were like no i love it i don't care i love it anyway even though i don't think they did but they they tricked themselves or made themselves like it and that's cool but it was like you know as far as victory because we went well we went back to victory we kind of skipped that point but yeah. um so we uh they were i mean they were like dude this thing is getting picked up in daily rotation on like just like daytime radio you know and it was like you know they were just constant updates like it's like you know, more stations, this station added it, this station added it, this station added it. And we we're like, oh my God, like, wow. Like, so what's that mean? And they were like, well, we want you to do these, like, you know, these like summer radio festivals, you know? And we were like, mm, nah. And they were like, what do you mean? No. What do you mean? They were like, I remember them calling us over and over again and be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And we were like, no, we're not going to do it. And they were just like, why? And it was honestly just because we were burnt out, you know? And they were like, they were like, because they wanted us to like drive to like Alabama to play this like radio fest, which was huge. It was, you know, it would have been like 20,000 people, you know, mainstream like K Rock, local K Rock station radio fest, you know? Sure. And, but they were like, you got to drive down to Alabama. And we're like, no, fly. If you want us to do it, fly us down to Alabama. We'll play it. And, and they were like, no, that's not happening. We're like, well, then we're not doing it. Right. You know, like we had, we had, we had already been up, uh, up the mountain. Like by this point we knew, no, we've seen, you can pay for people to go do that stuff. Totally. Like this isn't, this isn't earth crisis. Gamora season ends era. We realize now that, right. Yeah. We got, flo- we got it. flown out to California takeover. All right, buddy. We know the deal. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, we learned. Yeah. We learned now. And so, but they were just like firm, like, no. But, uh, but I remember it was like this weird backlash because we would tour off of it, you know, and we would play like, I remember Salt Lake City in particular because uh, we were, that was one of the biggest markets where we were getting played like a lot. And so we would go and there was this like 50-50 crowd. There was like, it was a good size show, probably 350, 400 people there. Sure. But it was like, um, we played outside, I remember, somewhere, some venue, but like outside. And uh there was like 50% of these just like radio kids, you know, just kids Yeah, that, that were like, Oh yeah, I heard that song on the radio. It's awesome. I'm going to go check this band out. And then there were like the hardcore kids and it was like, and it's Salt Lake at the time too. So it's brutal. Kids are just violent and whatever. Yep. And so, yeah, it was, it was just fighting and like the kids were mad at us, like yelling stuff at us, you know, like during the, I mean, the show was overall cool. If you saw a video of it, you probably wouldn't notice any of this, but like we felt it, you know, we were like, Oh man, like, yeah, this is like worlds colliding here. It's like radio kids and like hardcore kids that hate those radio kids, you know, like all being forced to smash together and try to enjoy this band, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean the, the fact that you, cause I mean, I, I, 
I personally obviously would not have insight into like you being able to see the tangible effects of like those songs that didn't fit into, you know, the earth crisis canon, be able to bring new people over and then yeah. ultimately have these people walking in like, cause you know, and I, I don't need to tell you this, but I just find it so funny where it's like, those are the kids where it's just like, dude, if earth crisis slither is their gateway band, just think of how their life would have been gone if they went to that hardcore show and like you know they felt welcome in some capacity not saying that didn't happen at all oh it's true yeah, yeah. It, it's no like, it's oh. absolutely and and that was a you know and uh, like not to that was absolutely part of our thing too i mean we hadn't given up on the mission by that point by any stretch of the imagination you know i mean we we hadn't we hadn't decided oh we're gonna stop pushing veganism or a drug-free lifestyle like right. that you know environmental still you guys yeah yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're like you, you just scan the lyrics on there, and all those topics are are touched on every single one of them. But like, yeah, I mean, th- that was definitely part of it. We were like, you know what? Like, I think we've done like what we can do in this world. Let's try to like go out into this like Ozfest crowd and try to tell some of these people about veganism. You know? Yeah, because you're you know at, at that point, like you clearly your message has filtered through the hardcore scene. Like you, yeah. you, you would be preaching to the, you know, the choir and the converted yeah. at that point. So it's like just, you know, blowing a 15 year old kid's mind about veganism that just like, you know, listens to you guys and, you know, whatever other radio rock band it's like, dude, that is so valuable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so. I mean, and we were never, you know, I like we were never that band that didn't wear our convictions on our sleeves. Like when we played the Ozfest crowd, we said the same stuff as if we played, you know, you know, a hardcore show. Like it was always the same. And we knew obviously somebody's going to throw something. Somebody's going to heckle us. Somebody's going to say something, you know, not a popular thing to say right. at a, at a, at a Ozfest show. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. You totally. know, it's like, we know that, you know? And, and so, yeah, I mean, these are all conversations that were had like while we were writing Slither and stuff like, look, I mean, yeah, this, 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 and that. And we've kind of done what we can do in this world. Let's try to, let's try to branch out a little bit. And it was the truth of it was like, we talk about this still amongst the band now because people in the band have different ideas on Slither, um, you know, as far as I think if they're proud of it or if they're not proud of it or whatever. Sure. I think everyone's proud of it. I don't, I don't think anyone's not proud of it. Um, proud of it for different reasons, I suppose, you know, um, like I'm proud of it just because it was, I felt like it was such a challenge for us, like musically just mm-hmm. to step out of our comfort zone and just, and, and like Carl, you know, like for him to like, put himself out there like that, like already being the target of hatred amongst, you know, the hardcore scene. And then to put himself out there like that on top of it, which clearly is, is, is easy mockery, you know, low hanging, low hanging fruit of mockery, you know? Yeah. And, and for him to do that, it took a lot of guts, you know? And like, you're very vulnerable at that point to do something publicly that you've never done before on record. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like I'm proud of it in that regard, but like, yeah, as far as like a a direction for the band, I don't think it was in hindsight, wasn't a good idea. I totally get why we did it. And I don't think, I don't think necessarily we should have done anything else because the only other option would have been just like break up then, yeah. you know, it was just so, like, you know, yeah, totally. it would have been, you know, we either do yeah, this I record that, that or was, we just done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was the thing we were just like, we were frustrated. I mean, it was like, there was a lot of things. I mean, it was like, you know, we were touring with like VOD a lot and those guys, 
come from the hardcore scene, but different like from us, you know, they started off on like Roadrunner and labels like that and always had management. And, you know, they, they came from that world. So like, you know, we're going out and headlining over them 90% of the time, but like they're getting all this shit, like all these perks and stuff and their life is easy and they got techs. And like, we never had techs ever, not one time. I had one tech one time in the entire history of doing Earth Crisis, and it was my brother <laughs> that I brought to Europe. Ah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never. I mean, I've, I never had that. You know, so we were seeing these guys, and we're like, "Why do you have this shit?" You know, like, like we're on the same label. We have management that's just as powerful as your management. But stuff like was happening where we we were both on an Anthrax tour, and um, like on select nights, all of a sudden we'd get there and they'd be like, oh, VOD's playing before you tonight or after you tonight. We're like, why? And it was because you have to play right at doors. And they had their management call and pull like power move kind of shit. And not not to diss them. I love those dudes. But sure. it was just business. It was business. It was stuff. business and not front. Right. Totally. Yeah. It was business stuff. And we were like, we were like, well, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, what is this shit? Like, why, you know, why are we selling like, five times as many records as these guys, but we have nothing. They're riding around in a bus. They got texts. They're getting choice of where and when they get to play every night. And we're just like getting pushed around, yep. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, our management, I mean, Scott Koenig is a friend, but, um, not, I don't think it was a manager. And I see a band, I, I see bands like deal with that a lot of times. It's like, you're not really getting a manager. You're getting a guy that has some connections that take, that takes 10%, you know? Sure, And it's like, you know, a manager, yeah, it's like, watch a couple old rock documentaries or something. You'll see what a manager used to be like, you know, like, um, you know, a manager was like somebody that went to bat for you like crazy hard, you know, like these guys are like, yeah, sorry, it didn't work out. You didn't get that tour. Well, fucking call again, you know? (laughs) Totally. Push, push, (laughs) yeah, push, push real hard. So yeah, 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 those are different, uh, yeah, those are different structures, especially when you're talking about independent music as well, where it's just like, you know, a lot of the times these people are just, you know, kind of facilitators in a way. And it's like they are big time. Yeah. And it wasn't even like and I think they see a bands like like Earth Crisis was who were very DIY, like, you know, for years. And they were like, well, these guys know how to do it. This will be an easy gig. Like they're not going to ask us to book their flights for them because they book their own they're flights. Adults, like, right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They book their own flights. They're not going to ask us to organize their rental van for their tour they've done that over a hundred times like they know how to do that like you know we're not high maintenance like we're easy but that's all the stuff that a manager earns is 10 percent by doing you know all the day-to-day garbage that you don't want to do but we basically got a manager and they didn't handle any of that stuff because we didn't even really know what exactly does a manager do do we just hand all this stuff over and then i think the few things that we did hand over they were done poorly or not the way that we liked it. So we were like, well, yeah, it was just basically a guy taking 10%. (laughs) Ultimately, I don't think we really benefited at all from any of it, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it was that point, you know, like, like I was saying, you know, after Gamora's when people started taking interest and then you start hitting these slides, just get a lawyer. And then the lawyer tells you to get a manager and then the manager tells you to do this. And then you sign with a label that wants to change all the stuff that you do that made you cool. All the stuff that made everybody like you, you know, and then starts yeah. putting ideas in your head. And then before you know it, you know, you're just yeah. like, I don't know what happened. Let's quit. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> so no, totally, totally. Which yeah. is a perfect segue into the you know when you and I met each other formally and started working together when yeah. um, you know to the death came out. And I, uh, I mean, obviously, as and I've shared this with you on on multiple occasions, where you know it, it was for sure like this weird dream come true fantasy life where I was just like, I can't even believe that this guy's that I get to work with these guys and like you're normal humans and like just like all these things where it's like 15 year old me, my mind was being blown to be like, wait a minute, I'm helping Scott get earth crisis like back together to record like all this stuff just didn't make any sense in my head. Um, but I remember the, the biggest thing that I remember about the whole process is that, you know, and I know that you were also aware of this where it's just like the nervousness of how people were going to react to the record. Cause you know, by that time you guys had done some, you know, reunion shows and like you had played out there and there was a general enthusiasm about the band, but like ultimately, you know, rubber hits the road. What, how's the record going to react? Not even from a sales perspective, but just, react and right, i remember yeah and i remember it was really really positive like people yeah. were genuinely excited about the record and um you know like so uh, as you were i guess kind of like going into this and gearing up it seemed like all of you guys were very enthusiastic about kind of not only the restart of the band but um you know just kind of marching forward with this record yeah absolutely yeah like well and i think that one of the big pluses for it were it was sort of like yeah, it was like a reset because you, you know, you have, we had like seven years, like nobody stopped playing music you know, everybody played music on some level. I still wrote a ton of music. I mean, I had a home studio. I was pretty self-sufficient at that time. Like I learned how to program drums. And so any ideas that I would still have, I had, I mean, I had files and files and files of songs. So it, when it came time for like, you know, okay, we're going to do a record. It was literally like dudes here, here's 20 songs, pick 10 you like, you know? And, um, so it was like a lot, we had a lot of material. We had like a direction for the album, like as far as the sound of it and et cetera. And I remember like, uh, uh, like one of the key points was like, or kind of like the base point was we wanted it to kind of be in the vein of the song we did on the covers album. That was like an original song. It was called panic floods. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of like, let's do, let's, let's like kind of like follow that band like that version of the band you know like let's try to do that oh, which was sort okay. of yeah which was sort of like um i mean in our in our minds i mean i don't think they ever come off like at the age that we're at if i if i'm like i'm gonna write a record like more season ends it might sound like that to me but it's not gonna sound like that to anybody else you know and uh and so I, in my mind like to the death was supposed to be destroy the machines the way that we wish it sounded you know and it doesn't sound like destroy the machines i don't think <laughs> no but I, I, yeah it's yeah it's close ish though but, yeah i see that i yeah, see that thread. exactly right yeah if you tell somebody see that's what i've i've found like if i tell somebody like uh hey you know so this record was supposed to be sort of like this this was like the inspiration they're like oh yeah i get it but they wouldn't have got it because i think it's subtle it's like you know, when I'm when I'm writing with that in mind, I'm not like I'm going to try to copy exactly what I did. I'll just be like, I'm going to use some of the same tricks that I used and just pe pepper them in here and there. Right. You know, and and I so I think when you tell somebody, you you point it out, they're like, oh yeah, all right, I hear that, I hear what you're saying. But that was the idea. It was supposed to follow along the lines of that song, like Panic Floods, like which I think would have been the next Earth Crisis record anyway, because that was like the covers album was after slither and we were like he's like i want to have an original song on it and we were like okay 
And we started writing a few songs, and that's that was the vein that they were kind of headed in for the next record. We weren't going to do like Slither too, like that wasn't the idea. Right. Like Slither, like Slither was definitely supposed to be like the holy shit, what the hell happened here, you know, situation. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. It was like, an it isolated experiment. Came. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, I even to this day, like of the the three. The reunion albums, yep. you know, since we got back together, like, yeah, to the death, uh, that record is like some of those songs in there go over just as well as like older songs. Like I, I, that was, that was exactly what I was going to mention where it's yeah. just like, because you know, it, it's interesting too, where it's like, you know, the, and you see this and, uh, you know, getting to know you over the time that we were working professionally together, you know, I know it was always a, a concern of yours where it's just like uh, over overstaying the welcome where it's just like, yeah. okay, like there's, there's no shortage of me being able to write music and our enthusiasm for the band. Um, and that is always going to be at the forefront of what it is that we do. Like, you know, we're always going to be putting out records. Like that's just a fact, you know, <laughs> and like hopefully yeah. people will pay attention. Um and and I think the the way that you have pushed yourself, you know, since the, the band came back together, and, and you know the records that you've done subsequently, um, but it, it did seem like to your point of these songs kind of embedded themselves really really well into your set to where people then you know consider these like part of the you know canonical canon of Earth Crisis, where it's just like oh yes, like this stands against Destroy the Machines, you know, Gomorrah Seasons ends, like it, yeah. it feels of that time. Yeah, it uh, yeah, they they yeah, they really like we talk about that now. Like we can't really play you know too many uh, we, we always play I uh, usually play a slither song in there just to do it. Of course. And but but the funny <laughs> yeah, thing is yeah, if yeah. we throw the right one in like we usually do killing brain cells. Of course. Like so killing killing brain cells like doesn't fe- I think people are tricked. They're like I know this song but I think is it was on Gamora's like they don't remember like where it is cuz it 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 flows too. It's one of those right. ones that f- yeah, they go, it just fall, you know, flows right into the set. And then when they go home, they're like, oh, damn it, Slither song, you know? But, um, yeah, but, like, same, yeah, like, To the Death songs. Like, that's one of the, actually, like, Against the Current is one of the, probably, I'd say, high points of a set at this point. Like, it's a, it's a set staple. It has to be in the set. Sure, know? sure, yeah, 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 totally, totally. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then, you know, with uh, with the next record, Neutralize the Threat, uh, by that time I had, you know, left Century Media and moved on. And um, the, you know, there, there was definitely, you know, I, I mean, I honestly 
<laughs> felt bad because, you know, I was obviously such a fanboy and in your pocket from that perspective and was really excited to, you know, help plan stuff with you guys on to the death and getting the record out there. Um, you know, did it, did you feel like, and I, I'm, I'm not looking for a compliment here <laughs> of like, <laughs> Oh, like, did you feel like my departure made this record less successful or whatever, not going for that route, but just like, you know, clearly there was going to be a difference in the way that the record was kind of presented overall, just because it's like, Oh yeah, here's another record, you know, two years after we just released to the death or what have you. Um, yeah. What do you, so what did you kind of feel like going into this record was the, you know, I, I know that you guys' enthusiasm was still, you know, existing in there and excited about the material. Um, but what yeah. did you feel kind of like, I guess publicly and like maybe the internal conversations you were having around the record? Um, it was, uh, I mean, I, the thing that's funny about it is I, again, I like kind of like with Gamora's, I feel like neutralized threat is like, I mean, I love to the death too, but I, I like neutralize the threat to me. I really love that record. Like mm-hmm. I, like, I think it's some of like the coolest, like strongest riffs like that I've ever wrote. Like I listen to it every once in a while and I'm like, man, I couldn't come up with something like that. Like there's some cool stuff in there, pretty unique, but it, I think that was so, yeah, the label stuff was really weird because it was like. I felt like I was getting introduced to somebody new like every other week and I didn't really understand what role they played. Sure. And then and then other times it, they were just cutting everybody like crazy. So it was like so it would be like, "Oh, we don't have that department anymore." But like it was, you know, like that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> right, like what do you right. mean, what do you mean? Like I can't remember what it was in general, but I was talking, yeah, I was just like the person that was in in charge of like social media changed like three times and like the A&R person changed three times and not everybody was cool. Like yeah, it wasn't like totally nobody was bad. Nobody, but it, but it was just confused. You know, it yep. was just a really like confused situation, but I, I had a blast like writing the record and I had a blast recording the record. And, um, that was the first record we worked with Zeus and he was awesome. Totally. Um, we had, an, we had a really good time working with him and I love it. I mean, I, I really love that record. Like, he, like again, like the last weekend that uh, we did the weekend a couple months ago, where we did like Boston, New York, and um, Philly. Sure. And Ian and I talked about it a lot in, in the van, and he was like, "Man, I, yeah." He's like, "Neutralize is an awesome record," and I'm like, "Yeah, I feel like it's an awesome record too." Right. But we don't play any songs from it because it's just it's a forgotten record. Like I, I feel like nobody, like, yeah, nobody really knows any of the songs. None of them really connected with anybody. Like the touring was bad. Like we had, we did this really terrible, like, um, the label was really pushing for us to do this, like Cavalier conspiracy tour. And, uh, it was like, we wanted to do it. It wasn't like we were scoffing at at the band. Like we were like, yeah, we want to do it, but it just didn't work with like everybody's schedule. So we did a lot of like, fill-ins and stuff and it was just it was so weird like there was probably like four different versions of earth crisis that played on that tour and it was just like you know some of them were just carl you know we tried to limit that as much as we could but it was like they just really wanted us to do the tour like they were really pushing for us to do it and um so we were like yeah we don't want to you know we want them to support the record and and be happy about the band. So we'll, f- we'll figure out a way to make this tour work, but the tour was bad. So it wasn't even really worth it. I was like, for whatever reason, you know, they just weren't drawing people. And it was just like, I mean, we were play for 50 people in DC and you know, it was just bad. It was just a bad tour for whatever reason. Sure. So yeah, not the, the memories like of the, when the record came out in the after, but man, I really like everything about it. Like the artwork. I like it, you know, like, 
I look back on it and like and listen to it occasionally, and I'm like, man, yeah, it's a bummer that that one kind of goes slipped under the radar. But yeah. sometimes, you know, it happens that people well, when you, start you, to catch on to things over time. You know, totally. And and also, I mean, that's like when you're, you know, when you're this many records deep into your catalog, it's like there's always going to be records that you know just get shuffled Absolutely. under the rug. So yeah, yeah, you can look at every band. You can look at every band and that has that's had a pretty long run and be like, oh man. I did, how come I never heard this Iron Man? You know, <laughs> totally. Well, you know, but, there's, uh, yeah. and, and to be and to be fair, it is one of those things where it's like the people that do listen to Neutralize the Threat will like, like you said, like it's a good record. It's not like one of those things where it's like you know every um, you know late '80s hardcore band went you know hair metal and it's like oh why have I not heard this Uniform Choice record? Oh my right, god, exactly. that's why. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so anybody yeah, that does exactly. find it will be. Uh, you know, we'll be happy and, uh, you know, can add that to their repertoire of listening to Earth Crisis stuff as opposed to, oh, I see why people forgot about that record. <laughs> yeah, you know, and there's another thing that that actually that pops up now that was really frustrating and still is, but but kind of pointed out, you know, brought a lot of things into light for me too. Like that, like reading a lot of the reviews of it, it was just like nonstop like comparisons to like bands that we inspired, you know, and it was like, oh, these guys sound like Unearth now. Oh, this record sounds exactly like Camara. Oh, this, you know, it's like, yeah, oh, those dudes will openly tell you that they are hugely inspired by Earth Crisis. You know, of it, we're we're like way older than them. Like, go, like, go, go back and do some some research. Like, you were writing the same stuff that you know in the same vein that we've always written it. A little bit more, a little bit more, you know. 2015 or whatever year it was but yes we're not we're not like emulating unearth or chimera like if that's what you think yeah you know and yeah yeah. but there was a lot of those references like i saw especially those two bands like and i'm like but but then it also so that shed the light a lot of this like man you know this genre that we did that was unique for us is super watered down and and you know there is so many bands that are doing the metalcore thing that you earth crisis was unique for throughout the nineties. Like, you know, nobody, and there were a lot of bands doing it. I'll never try to say that we created it like by any stretch of imagination. People say that to me all the time. I'm like, no dude, there were bands. Like (laughs) there were a lot of bands that we emulated that came before us. You know, we might've been the ones that played it most to your town, you know, and came through your town the most, but there were a lot of bands that were doing it and doing it better than us in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, but yeah, like now it's like, it's not unique. You know, that, that style of playing is not, is not very unique. It's, it's really a dime a dozen. Yeah. Well, and, to, to your, to your yeah. point, not to interrupt your train of thought, but the idea of like, you know, I've always viewed hardcore and punk kind of in general as like on these four to six year cycles where it's like, you know, that that's kind of when a new generation of kids comes in and like, you know, very much like high school where it's like, you know, you're a senior, you see the freshmen, you're just like, Oh, look at these dumb kids. And then, you know, by the time they're seniors and you look back, you're like, Oh wow, they're, they're kind of doing some cool stuff or whatever. It, yeah. And so it is weird when you then reintroduce and, and you know, not comparing, um, you know, earth crisis to the character of Matthew McConaughey and dazed and confused or whatever, where he's like, you know, <laughs> coming back. But like it, it yeah. then it, it, the world 
uh, from a critical perspective, then starts to collapse in on itself because people are then going to reference the bands that they know, um, you know, like whatever Chimera and Earth, like that's what they're going to reference. So they're going to be like, oh yeah, Earth Crisis kind of sounds like Suicide Silence, and it's just like what? Like no, yeah. like that's not where we're coming from. Like you need to place yeah. us in context, and not to say that to your point, like we're these pioneers where it's just like oh everybody bow down to earth crisis and we are the only like you know the band that anybody can compare it to but you need to understand where this is all happening in the continuum as opposed to like you said where it's just like oh yeah so you guys are trying to sound like an earth now it's like what no 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 yeah yeah well that's yeah and i mean yeah so many i mean reviews i can't even don't even get me started i hate reading reviews but it's (laughs) like sex sex deals with that you know it's like well we put a record out and we use HM2 pedals and for every band that we, every single review that we got on our last record was, wow, these guys like trap them, right. trap them, trap. And I'm like, to be quite honest, nothing against trap them. Never heard a record in my life. Sure. Never, never heard a trap them album. I've never heard Jimmy one time mention the band trap them. Never. Like yep. when we were sitting down writing songs, like trap them has never entered the conversation, you know, <laughs> totally, it's like, totally, but it's, it's like, it's impossible. There's no way we sound exactly like that band trap them. So I go and listen to trap them. Yeah. We don't sound like them other than they use HM two pedal. We use HM two pedal. Of course. So did entombed. So did Disfear. So did, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You're going to yeah. put everybody under this one classification of the way that, you know, the equipment that they're using. And it's just like, yeah. no, that, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of that is you know, clearly just devoid of context. It's like, yes, yeah, you, but it was so much of that. It was yeah. just like every, and I'm like, Oh God, how frustrating, you know, you do something, you do something. And for me, it was trying to do not earth crisis part two, you know? And I'm like, so I'm going to make this so out there, you know, like so completely different that people can't be like, Oh yeah, sounds like earth crisis part two. And I'm like, but instead I did trap them part two, Shit. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, damn, I keep missing the mark, man. <laughs> yeah. I keep missing the mark. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but it goes, it goes to like, you know, kind of my frustration. And I guess like, you know, being older, I suppose, like, you're just like, I think, I feel like it's all been done. Like, I, like I sit down and I'll write a bunch of stuff. And again, I'm at this point where I have files upon files of music in in my hard drive and I listen to it and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's cool, but I feel like it's, it's stuff that I've I've heard a thousand times. Am I, am I going to create something at this point in my age and in this, in this world, in this genre of oversaturated a million bands on the, where every time you turn on Instagram or Facebook or something, there's a dude writing a metalcore riff, you know, it's like, am I going to really do something, put something out there that's really going to be that unique? It's, it's, it's kind of defeating. I feel like, I think you got to be younger and just have that fire. You know, at this point I'm like, I've written thousands of riffs. You know, yeah. is, do I have one that's so unique in me left? <laughs> well, dude, <laughs> you're strike you're, a chord. Yeah. Not, not to give you a pass, but like, um, you know, when you're young, you're dumb and you don't have perspective. So you're just, you're marching through the world with, um, you know, little to no care. And obviously yeah. once you reach a certain age where you're just like, <clears throat> oh yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, whatever, putting myself in your shoes, it's a matter of like not repeating yourself rather than focusing on the like, oh crap. Like, yeah, I, you know, I turned over all these stones and, you know, like you said, you, you can go onto any digital media platform and find 17 other things that are similar to it. So, so much. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And that's, that's all. And that's always been the, you know, that's always been my goal. Like I've never, I've never wanted to like write the same record twice. You know, I've never wanted to be like, oh yeah, let's just do that again. You know, where Carl is like, he, he's, he's about 
he's, you know, not that he's not about quality, but he's very much about quantity. You know, he's always like, dude, it's cool. Like, you know, the last record we did is killer. It's got killer riffs on it. I'm like, I'm not saying that they're, that I feel like any of them are bad or there's anything on there that I'm like embarrassed of, but I just feel like, yeah, it's like, what, what can be done at this point? Jesus. It's like, there's only so many things that I, that a person can do in this, in this genre, you know? (laughs) No, no, totally, totally. I mean, and that, that will bring us to the, you know, the most recent (laughs) LP that you guys did with, uh, Salvation of the Innocents. Um, I thought, and it, it was cool because that record, you know, was the first time that you worked with a, the same producer, you know, you worked with Zeus again. Um, yeah. and you know, clearly by this point you are, you know, so self-sufficient in regards to like preparing all the songs and like the way that you guys work together, you're dialed in, you're adults, like there's no pressure beyond just you putting forward what, in your opinion, the best music that you guys could put out there. Um, yeah. And it seems like the partnership with Candlelight worked well to expose you guys further to Europe because, you know, clearly at this point, it's like that's where most hardcore bands can, you know, live on longer than here in the States because people, like you said, cycle through bands every three years or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So like it, it, it seems like it was a very um, comfortable record, and I don't mean that in a uh, disparaging like, oh yeah, it's just another Earth Crisis record, but it just felt comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It was it, it was pretty. It was like you know stretch. Let's let's like stretch the boundary a little bit. You know, we we did a little slithery stuff on there. Like there's some there's some vocals. Like no, again, kind of what I was saying about Carl's vocals, like. It's not perfectly clean, you know, singing, but there's melody. Like he can, he, cause I was like, well, you can do this. Let's do this, you know? And, but yeah, it, you know, other than that, it's, yeah, it's similar to neutralize and to the death. And, um, but I mean, again, I, I, I listened to it and I'm like super solid, like songs, you know, like I'm proud of them. Like they flow really well. Like they're, but again, I think, you know, I had this conversation with, with friends too. And I'm like, you know, but I think there's a point to that where like, that's not what people want to hear. Like, I'm proud of it because I feel like all the, you know, there's no rough edges in these songs. Like the the transitions are smooth. They, you know, you don't feel like anything was forced in. There's no parts that, that somebody, you felt like somebody had to, you know, put their boot on and be like, I want my part in this song and, and, and kick it in. Everything flows together with, with, you know, grace, you know, but there's a there's a point i think with a band like us where that sounds too uh i don't know professional i guess and and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah okay whatever like there's a little bit of that like rough around the edges like stuff that i think people like you know like again it's the difference it's the difference between like a hardcore band and a band that's heavy that's on the radio you know the band that's heavy it's on the radio has worked with somebody and rounded those edges you know and I think I've just learned over time to round those en- edges. Just like I've, d- I've written so many songs and I'm like, oh, I don't like how everything feels jammed in. Or I've listened, I listen back to records and uh, that we did. And I'm like, man, that part really, I remember writing that and I literally remember forcing it into the song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you right, know? right. Whereas like now I have the luxury of being like, that's not working. Cool. Put that to the side, write another one come back to that two weeks later. Oh, I know what needs to go there. Oh, flows perfectly well, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, I, yeah. It's, it's not, it's yeah. not the idea of, I mean, most bands exist in this world when they're, you know, writing their first couple of records where it's just like, it's just riff salad. You're just like, how, what's the bridge I could do to put these two riffs together? And yeah, right. you just like throw crap at it. 
and you don't know right, what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. But there, there's, yeah, but there's something magical about that naive way to do it, you know? And it's, and, but you, but it's, but the sad part about it is you can't go back. You know, that's the hard thing. It's like you real you get to this point where you, you hate that. Like you hate those early days of the way that you wrote songs, you know, because you're like, oh, they're so unprofessional sounding. They sound so forced and there's all these weird transitions and jagged stuff. And, and, and then you realize like, oh, but there's like this beauty in those things. Like sure. that, you know, that, but, but then you're like, can I recreate that? You can't because then it'll sound like you're trying to recreate it. So it's like this, it's just this, you know, as you progress, you know, you just progress and you just have to do things the way that it feels good in your heart to do. And instead of trying to look back because that's, you know, that's the, the big thing amongst all lot of bands. I think, you know, you start having this conversation and people are like, well, what we got to do is write a song like, you know, firestorm again or something like that. And you're like, can't be done. It can't be done. Like, Yeah, and you know, there's always that band that's been around for 20 years that that everyone's like, this record is return to form of their original. It's like it's not. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way that anybody can be a band for 20 years and go back and write an album like their first record. It just doesn't. It's impossible. Yep. Yeah. You know? No. It, but it, it, you can it, try, and it might of be course. cool. You know, but you can put yourself in that that mindset, and you can just, you know, I, I think the you know, the <laughs> biggest thing that I think you've mentioned on more than one occasion in this chat, it, it's the idea where it's just like you are following the logical progression and the lead of where you feel like you need to go. You know, like you, you know, sometimes you need to like take that hard step like you did with Slither. Sometimes you just need to be like, oh, well, no, like you said, you're putting the polish on this and you're making sure all the rough edges are sanded down. And then other times where it's just like, you you know, who knows? Like when you put out the next Earth Crisis record in 2020 or whatever, and you're just like, oh yeah, well actually, you know, I'm just going to throw a bunch of things at this and it'll be kind of like the earlier Riff Salad days, but it's not going to be that exact same thing it's going to be no. that logical progression of what you're talking about yeah 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 and that's yeah that's the thing it's like i have i think with with earth crisis there's always been i think the thing that gets me personally motivated to do a record is when i come up with like a direction you know like i'll play a song or i'll write parts and i'm like okay that you know i'll write usually like a bunch of stuff and then one thing i'll be like that's the direction like that's where this is going to go like this record yep but yeah, these days I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like all the directions have been, you know, like, sure. All the roads have been know, combed. Yeah. All the roads have been covered. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I said that, like I did an interview with like no echo and I mentioned in there like, yeah, I don't really see it. You know, I don't really see another earth crisis record. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what it would sound like. I don't, you know, I don't lyrically like what's left to be said. I, I, I don't know, you sure. know? Sure. And, uh, yeah, you know, you know, people within the band understood, and some were like, "Dude, you know, that sucks that you said that." You know, right. don't, yeah, don't, and, uh, don't say that. Close yeah. the door, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, look, I'm not Earth Crisis. Like, I'm one person, and sure, I do a lot of stuff for Earth Crisis. You know, like yep. at this point, but and I've, yeah, I mean, I've written quite a fair share of the music, but like. That's not to me. That's not to mean like Eric doesn't write and, and Ian doesn't write. I mean, Ian had a lot of writing on Destroying Machines and and stuff like that. But uh, you know, for me, like I just look at it and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know where else to go. Right. Like, and I don't want to just I don't want to just churn something out just to do it. You know. But then there's another part of me that it's been brought up a couple times just to do something that's not. Um, I don't know, not like an official release, but new songs that are just kind of fun and for 
just like people that have been with us forever and want to hear something, you know, and it's just, it would just be, it's not something where you get a label and there's going to be ads and all that kind of shit. It's like, Hey, here's four songs. What do you think? Cool. Hope you like them. Cool packaging, you know? Yeah. Like I could see myself, I could see myself doing something like that just because it's not, I don't know. There's zero pressure. Yeah. There's zero pressure. And it's not even so much pressure. It's just, it would just be like, yeah, I guess, I guess pressure is the way to put it. it. It's just, yeah, it's just like, it's not as official. It's like, okay, yeah. this is just, this is fun. Like, this is like, we, we wanted to do something cool with new packaging. And because the truth of it is like, if it was up to me, like I'd write Earth Crisis Records all day, every day. Like I want to, I just don't know that it's really the smart move. Cause I don't think there's anything musically or lyrically to be said anymore. Sure. You know? sure. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, how, you, you want the, the space that it, it makes sense as it stands currently with you is the fact that you would like to be able to experiment on the earth crisis form, but obviously be able to give it a, a platform that is, you know, just like you said, just very casual, just here's, here's yeah. three songs. Like, you know, this, like, yeah. some of it's going to sound like this, some of it's going to sound like this, but like, don't expect this as like this, you know, this, <laughs> this really definitive, uh, timestamp of what earth crisis is. It's just like, well, here, here's some more songs. Like hopefully yeah, we were, we were, we're, we, yeah, we're friends. We had a blast working on these. Right. If you like them, cool. You know, yeah. cause no. that's the truth is like, you know, that, that's the real, that's the real pull is like, we have fun. Like we, we still have a good time writing music together. We still have a good time recording. We still are like impressed like we were when we were 16 at the end of it be like dude we did something cool like we wrote some real songs cool you know so that's like the real pull but at the same time i think you need to you need to step back and put the brakes on yourself a little bit and be like are we just doing this like is it what's the motivation you know is it just like is it just like are we doing it because it's for fun but i i feel like at this point too is like cheesy as to say like i don't i don't want to like like earth crisis has what it has and it's been awesome and i don't want to like tarnish the legacy of it you know what i mean like i don't want to do something i don't want to do something that's like the definitive last stamp that's like oh that was the last thing they did and it was super bad or like it was super like watered down or because i just that's that's my problem i feel like what earth crisis does is very um watered down these days like i don't like the genre anymore sure like i like i don't like i hear it and i'm like yeah 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 i get it too right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah for sure for sure it. right yeah. the, the, I, the inspiration that you feel obviously leads you down the different roads you know like what you do with sect and you know all the other yeah. musical projects you've done over time and so it's like yeah you need to you need to find that space in which yeah earth crisis comes up again and it's like oh yeah actually like yeah i feel inspired to lean into that you're like but yeah as it stands right now you're just like no it doesn't make sense right now <laughs> It doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's no inspiration. Everything just feels like, yeah, you hear stuff. And, you know, there's bands that stand out like that. I'm like, oh, I love, you know, I really like these guys, right? Like those. But for the most part, it's like you just hear it and you're like, dude, it's just, and I get it. Like for young kids, it's like that's their thing and and that's the world and the time that they live in. So all this stuff is sort of like new and fresh. But, and when you get old and you get jaded and you've heard it, you feel like you've heard it all done, been done a thousand times and maybe better a thousand times. You're just kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like the new version of, of like, you know, metal bands. I feel like it's just been like Meshuga for the last like 10 years, you know, it's it's just literally Meshuga 10 years, (laughs) you know, Yep. it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, whatever, like whatever you want to call. And that's the other thing, like all these like sub genres of genres. It's like, dude, 
Right. Okay. We're, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting over ourselves now. Yep. It's not, nobody knows the difference between, totally. you know, death core and gent or whatever, you know, <laughs> it's like, totally. It's like this is, yeah, these are, yeah. these are, you know, musical descriptions that appeal to such a subset of subset of people. It's just like, this yeah. is not, it's not worth, it's not worth investigating, yeah. investing this much time into it. But, but at the same time, like we're, you know, you know, you and I and people of our age and we know we sound like dads, totally. you know, like when we say that we know like, yeah, that's some shit my dad would have said when I was little. You know? Yeah, like, but they wouldn't be ta- they wouldn't be talking about hardcore. <laughs> but yeah, be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. if they heard it though, like if they came in our room, right, and they That's were true. like, and you and you were playing Killing Time, and then you put on Youth of Today to us, very different sounding bands. To yeah. them, they would have said the this all sounds ear. the same. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. this all sounds the same. Totally, you totally. know, and so when I say gent and deathcore sound the same, some kids are like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, you know, you're like, an idiot. Yeah, yeah. You I mean, you're you're you're, yeah. you're speaking, but I mean, to be fair, it's, whatever. I'm giving you another pass here, but like you're speaking in generalities. Like you can hear the difference between the two, and you understand sure. the difference and the nuance. Yeah. But that's only because you've been steeped in it for you know twenty plus years. But yeah. musically it's not inspiring you to write the thing that is slightly different or, you know, I understand where you're coming from. (laughs) Well, it's just, I just, yeah, I just feel like they don't, they don't require their own genre names. Sure. sure. Because this dude has, because this dude has like a slightly gruffer vocal style than that dude, or this dude doesn't sing, you know, there's like such subtle differences between the music. It's like, you know, it's like obituary and deicide were different bands, but they were death metal. You know, yeah, like, no, no, I totally they, understand what you're saying. Yeah, they about, didn't yeah. require they didn't require uh, different uh, genre names because one tuned to C standard and the other was A. You know, like <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's essentially what's happening now. It's like subtle differences between metal, and all of a sudden you got a new genre. You know, yeah, no, no, totally, totally. Well, uh, Scott, this has been so much fun for me. You've dropped so much awesome knowledge that uh, yeah, all these all these anecdotes that I, I never would have known unless I asked you these questions and we went down all these rabbit holes so dude this has been super fun thank you oh man it's awesome yeah i had a good time wow that was a doozy right i like i said there were there were times where in the middle of the conversation with scott i pressed mute on my end of the mic and i would just be like are you kidding me (laughs) this is insane i can't believe this i never even knew this or whatever I just was, um, I was so stoked. And anytime I know that I'm getting stoked while the interview is happening, I know personally that it's a good one. So thank you very much, Scott, again, for uh, entertaining this, uh, this idea. So that was, uh, that was fun. And hopefully I'll be able to do that in the future for uh, other bands and, you know, all that stuff. So anyways, the guest next week is Brent Mills from Greyhaven, who is a very, very good hardcore band on the uh, newer side of things. They're signed Equal Vision. Uh, got, a, got a heavy thing going on, sort of technical, metalish hardcore stuff. I really enjoy what they do. So, um, yeah, that's what we got next week. Brent Mills from Greyhaven. Great. All right. Until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work. Yes. Hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can go to get caught up on what is happening? Are you? Yes. Are you confused about that? You're talking about the Daily Zeitgeist. I just want to make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day. 
talk about what is happening and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.